On today's episode of The Pickup, we have a huge baseball show coming for you guys. We cover the divisions, we go over storylines, we make some preseason picks as well when it comes to like the MVP and the Cy Young. It's a lot of fun. And then after that, we do an NFL mock draft, our first one of this year. It was a lot of fun doing that as well, so go check that out. Listen to some of our picks and tell us what you think. Then after that, we round up with our picks of the week. This was a super baseball-heavy episode, a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoy it. This is all up next on The Pickup. to the pickup episode number 12 it is wednesday march 31st just past eight o'clock p.m eastern time and today is a great episode for so many reasons first off it's the 12th episode 12 is my favorite number so you already know this is going to be a banger second of all it'll be today when the podcast comes out but right now it's tomorrow is opening day and i cannot wait and the only person that may be a tinge more excited than i am if not the same as i am is my co-host drew hartman yeah no i'm 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 definitely gonna say that i'm more excited than you are <laughs> I've, I've been waiting for this for a, a pretty long time I mean, I, I can't think of a better way to start April than with yeah. baseball. Mm-hmm. And as we have talked about before, you are excited for uh, maybe <laughs> a little bit different reason than I am. I'm excited with the atmosphere that is around my team this year. Um, we're going to be something a little different. You know, we don't have Trevor Bauer this year in Cincinnati, but we have hopes for our team. I'm excited to watch all baseball but I'm really excited for the Reds and have, as you have stated prior to this episode, it may be a little <laughs> bit different for you due to the fact that, um, you know, it may not be exciting for the Pittsburgh fans, but it is still exciting to watch the game of baseball. Yeah, I can't, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I'm so happy that baseball's back. That's all I'll be doing while I'm doing schoolwork and everything like that. But yeah, I was telling yeah, you, okay. it's like a, it's like a weird feeling. Like I'm excited for baseball, but then I'm like, Oh, the pirates are playing tomorrow. And I'm like, <laughs> sick. I get to watch our like 50 win season begin tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the only thing we really got going for us is hopefully Mitch Keller can figure some things out. And Cabrian Hayes looks like a stud, but we're not going to get too deep into baseball. Cause we've got a lot of it coming up here pretty soon. So we are going to leave it at that for now, but we are now, now going to go over drew who you want to give your uh, hot tub or ice bath first for this week um well i i'll go ice bath first okay. and i actually had to change my ice bath earlier today it was gonna be um the women's oregon oregon women's basketball player sedona prince who's suing the ncaa to try and make money off of her likeness and image but I'm going to stick away from that. And I'm actually going to throw one of my favorite prospects in this draft, Kyle Pitts into the ice bath mm-hmm. for saying that he will be the best to ever do it. <laughs> um, you know, and that's, I mean, it's great. You run a four, four, five and you jump 30 and a half inches. And those are some good numbers, some big time numbers for a tight end, but Vernon Davis had better numbers in his draft and yeah. his career didn't necessarily translate to that. But you got to remember that Antonio Gates did play football and Tony Gonzalez is still there. And you're following the era of Rob Gronkowski. 
You know what I'm saying? So it's just, yeah. it's hard when you have so many prolific guys that aren't too far removed or are still in the NFL for you to just come in and say that you're going to be the best is, uh, is quite the statement to make. Yeah. So for my ice bath of the week, I'm going with who all baseball fans should know who this is. Angel Hernandez filed <laughs> a discrimination lawsuit against the MLB like a week or two ago because he has not been assigned to a World Series since 2005. Do 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 Breaking news. Angel Hernandez, you have been assigned to a World Series since 2005 because you are the worst umpire yeah. this league has seen in so many yeah. years. The players yeah, no, are I... complaining about you consistently. The public just roasts you consistently. Your balls and strikes are terrible. Your out and safe calls <laughs> are terrible. This has nothing to do because you are Hispanic. This has to do with you are just a straight, crappy, terrible, no good umpire. And you're the reason people think there should be an automated strike zone, Angel Hernandez. That is 100% your fault. Fire you up, Stephen Biddix. Um, I, you know, he either doesn't have a Twitter to see what people are saying about him, doesn't care, or just doesn't realize how awful that he actually is. You know, and, and I mean, you can sit there and say it's because you're Hispanic, but let's get off of the political soapbox for a second and realize that baseball players don't bring politics into it for a reason. doesn't belong yeah. in our sport. Never has, never will. You pay your, your privilege, you pay your stuff on the way in the door and then it doesn't, it doesn't come back up, you know? So, yeah, but we just this, know from being baseball fans and all baseball fans, dude. dude oh yeah. You, I mean, it's cause you suck. That's all. If you have watched, if terrible. you have watched a series of baseball ever where he is, in the game, whether it be behind the plate at first, but he misses at least two or three calls a game. I yeah, say, I say send him to college baseball where they use the replay like it's candy and he can never yeah. be wrong because they're always going to check him on it. Yeah. And for people who have watched games and been like, this umpire is terrible. I could do better than this. Odds are you are probably watching Angel Hernandez. Yeah. So. Odds are you are probably right too. You could do better. <laughs> you could be a hockey player with a stick in hand and walk out to first base or behind the plate and call better balls and strikes than Angel Hernandez. That's yeah, not too that's... far stretched, really not. No, not at all. So who are you tossing in the hot tub? So my hot tub is actually the – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to combine it here with who I, I – I'm going to throw Roger Goodell and mm -hmm. Rob Manfred both into the uh, hot tub. I'm going to okay. give it – Left to Rob Manfred, because I hate him. Uh, I think he <laughs> needs to figure out how to be a face of a league. Yeah, he step needs to one's take probably some... not calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal. Yeah, I mean, you need to take some some notes from Adam Silver and Roger Goodell and figure out that it's it's not, I mean, it's not that easy, but they can do it. Um, I'm going to throw them both in there because both of them are looking forward to having full capacity stands uh, in the coming season. Rob Manfred came out today and said that midsummer he is looking forward to having full capacity in all Major League Baseball stadiums, yeah. which is very exciting and very, very hopeful. Uh, I'm very excited that that is a possibility. I'm also very excited for the NFL. That's a huge, huge thing for the NFL. It changes the way some of those guys play. I was actually talking on um, Tuesday this week. Well, that or no, Monday, excuse me, to uh, two baseball players about what it's like having 
minimum capacity in the in the stands and we just swept florida and it was a great feeling for them on the field but they both told me that it's i mean it's it's a huge thing to have a full capacity he brady allen and west clark is who i was talking to and i asked brady about it and he was said oh, name uh, drop name uh, well <laughs> i mean i mean why not i'll just take the secret away from it um they both are just ready to have fans back and brady said if we think we miss it uh, imagine how the the players feel, you know, and that, and that sort of sense is how he put it. You know I mean? We get to sit in the stands and watch it. They get to play. I mean, that's emotional for them not to have fans. It's very exciting for them to have fans. I, I mean, I'd love to get back in there and be able to watch a baseball game, you know, and they want us there. So I'm glad that we're taking steps to get everybody back in a stadium to root for teams and be at home where they want to be. Yeah, for sure. Well, we now know you will never be an Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter, at least, because, you know, you didn't say per source. You actually said <laughs> well, the names. But, yeah, no, I, that's You know what? I, I will name drop those two any day of the week. You have, <laughs> you have the nation's home run leader and one of the best leadoff hitters in the country. I will name drop those two daily <laughs> if I have to. But Yeah, but that's with, like, all sports is the big thing the athletes have been harping on is because you know from playing sports just like I do that adrenaline when you're running out onto the field to the music and then you've got the audience cheering and you just got everything going like it just kind of takes you to another level and that's definitely a huge thing so I am for my uh, hot tub today I'm putting Francisco Lindor in there he's turned okay. down a 10-year 325 million dollar extension wow his contract expires after this year so yeah extension turn that down today that means this dude must be feeling awfully comfortable with that New Balance money he has and whatever other money he has right now, and he knows or it zero, back. Like or zero to... faith in the Mets. Well, and that's the thing. The Mets have to get a superstar. They can never compete with the Yankees for superstars. So I think yeah. the Mets are going to pay him. I think that bag's coming, and I think the Mets are going to give it to him because yeah. he wanted to be traded. He went to New York where he wanted to go, and I think yep. they're going to get a deal figured out. And so props to Francisco Lindor. He's going to come out way better on the other side. I, think, oh, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if 400 will get to, but I think we'll get up to like 375 probably. Well, he's definitely going to get more. He's definitely going to push their hand. The problem he runs into is I, I, I personally, I think he's still better than Fernando Tatis. Yeah, and you I would see what him. And you see what money Tatis got. But you have to, as a player at 28 right now, I think maybe, I don't even know, actually, 27. So it'll be 28 by the time that next offer rolls in, most likely. Um, so you got to, I mean, you kind of have to think about, a, am I going to get that kind of money? And the answer at 28 is no, because it's the length of contract also. I think he's worth all of what he got offered today and some more. I think he's definitely going to get more. Like he said, I think they're going to offer him more. They have to because they are trying to be the team in New York now. And they're on the very straight and narrow path to get there, but he has to come back. And I think that they have the money to do that. So we'll see how that goes, but yeah, I I'm excited to see it. Yeah. I think they'll definitely get a contract figured out very early in the season. Cause like yeah. I said, the Mets, they don't want to lose Francisco. Yeah, no, no and they don't want to, they don't want to wait either because if you lose Syndergaard again, this year early and uh, Strowman goes out and you don't make the postseason or don't make a world series and be where Francisco wants to be. He doesn't yeah. have to sign cause he's not coming back anyway. So yeah. you want to get that done early, early, early. 
Yeah, and money shouldn't be an issue for the Mets. They're in the biggest market in America. There's not a salary yeah. cap. And yeah, so they should definitely get this deal done. So the final four is locked in right now. This is the first time I think ever I saw it. Yep. It was ever. There's yep. never been a team. East there's not the a team east of the Mississippi. Yeah, yeah I saw yeah, that. There's not a team east of the Mississippi in the final I'm a four. Little, I'm a little upset you beat me to that stat because I had it lined <laughs> I was, up. I was waiting. To, that's why I was trying to get this transition. I wanted him <laughs> to get that in there. So we're locked and loaded with number one Baylor facing number two Houston, some two familiar foes, both from Texas. And then we've got number one Gonzaga against number 11 UCLA, also right on top of each other, Washington and California. So not that they've played each other necessarily a lot of times, but four teams that all kind of know the opponent that they're playing, very similar locations. And kind of just going back to the Elite Eight before we talk about the Final Four, there were some good games and then there were some <laughs> yeah. not so good games. The Gonzaga USC game was an absolute blowout. Gonzaga had more points at halftime than the UCLA Michigan game had in the whole entire freaking thing. And then you had Houston beating Oregon state. That was a good game. 67, 61 Baylor beat Arkansas, which was a good game, I guess. And then UCLA was blowing out <laughs> Michigan for quite a good bit. And then Michigan made a little run at the end there, but UC UCLA still won. And we spared Nick the ridicule of having to come on yeah. today to talk about Michigan <laughs> losing. But I think it was a pretty good elite. I don't know if he's ever point. coming back after that. Yeah, he may not get invited after all the bad picks and stuff that he <laughs> gave us anyway. So, <laughs> so oh, what did you think no. about the elite eight? You know, I mean, I think it's it's always an interesting thing to watch because at that point, everyone's so. I don't want to say evenly matched, but it seems like everybody should have such a good game. And then it always feels like there's one blowout game, mm-hmm. you know, and normally it is the number one seed over somebody that shouldn't be there. But that Gonzaga game, it just really took off on them. I think, you know, I don't know if they don't, they weren't necessarily ready for it, which obviously I feel like USC was ready to play Gonzaga, but I don't know if there was a good solid matchup there. You know, I think UCLA, is a good matchup. I don't know how much that's going to help because the Gonzaga team is kind of just turned into the team's insane. Walking it's, away with games, the double the digits, monst- they beat the everybody. Monsters I mean, yeah, of college yeah, basketball. Yeah, basically. I mean, and it's 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 fine to watch. You know, it'd be history if we get to see it. it yeah, I mean, it'd be cool. But I, I mean, I'd like to see you UCLA win it just because it'd be cool to watch an eleven get to the championship game. Yeah, but. I won't be upset if Gonzaga wins it. I yeah. I still think Baylor walks away with this mm-hmm. just because they have such a three-headed monster on both sides of the ball with Macy yeah. Oteague, Devion Mitchell, and then they have some, so many off the bench that, I mean, those two headlining, uh, it's a big deal, you know, and those guys are always competitive both sides of the ball. I mean, the Final Four is going to be hopefully no blowout, hopefully good games, but what's weird to me and kind of what made me laugh and it makes me feel dumb, but it didn't sink in that just now you said Houston and Baylor, two teams from Texas. And I know that Houston's in Texas. Do you not know Baylor was in Texas? No, no, I know Baylor was. But every time like every time you ask me where Houston is, I can say Texas. But every time it's like where is the University of Houston I don't really jump to Texas. (laughs) I don't know why. But it's not like oh in Texas. You know, I don't, and I don't know why they're a perfectly good <laughs> Division One program, but yeah. it just doesn't don't jump out to me. Like Baylor, every time I hear Baylor, 
I think Texas. Every yeah, time I go. hear yeah. I hear TCU, I think of Texas. You know, so those it's just it's weird. I would I, hope so. It's Texas yeah. Christian University. <laughs> yeah, but I mean you could think Tennessee. Tennessee Christian I mean it's just like those come out and like hit you as like Texas schools I don't know why Houston doesn't it was just funny I was like dang I know that but that caught me off guard yeah and I kind of misspoke the elite eight were great games it was a sweet 16 I meant to say that was over the weekend that were a bunch of blowouts and the games weren't all that great the elite eight was phenomenal it was the sweet 16 that there were a lot of blowouts I was just looking at it my Syracuse pick, they put up 46 points in the whole game. <laughs> that didn't end up too well. Nice. And, then, and then USC destroyed Kansas by, if I'm doing my math right, 34 points, which is ridiculous. But going back to the final four now, so looking at the first matchup, or actually real quick, going back to the lady, because I don't want to bring this up after what you said. So, and we talked about this at the beginning, when, I, when App State was still in the tournament of the playing games and i said if we win i'd rather face gonzaga than pretty much any of the other one seeds because they had the lack of the presence of a dominant big man and that was the reason a lot of people were saying hey usc might have the best shot to do this out of anybody because of the two mobley brothers i mean Devon, evan mobley is going to be a top three pick and the other brothers not shabby at all for a college player and <clears throat> the team in general is a great team and they're physical and they're big and like I said, how App State's more guard-based and Gonzaga's more guard and forward-based. Yeah. I was like, that would be a good matchup. But then Gonzaga just absolutely sweeping Ran the away. floor with USC's big men out there. That just kind of took them to a whole nother level of my mind. Like, I don't quite know how they can be stopped after defeating the one team that, like, matchup-wise could give them struggles because of the big men asset or the big men part aspect, not asset, aspect of that game. Yeah, I know what you, I know what you mean. Yeah, but so going forward now, so looking at the first game, we've got number two, Houston, at number one, Baylor. Texas will always be like the big brother in Texas, but it's still kind of yeah. big brother, little brother, because it's like power five. Like I, it's yeah, power like five I said, Baylor it's, versus not power yeah. five, D1, Houston. You think of big schools in Texas, Baylor, Texas, TCU come to mind. Houston doesn't jump right out. Yeah, Texas Tech, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so for that game, I'm leaning more towards Baylor just because, I mean, I think they're a very dominant team. They've only lost, what, two games all year, one in the regular season, one in the Big 12 tourney. But if you look at Houston, too, they have had a lot, and I mean a lot, of come-behind wins throughout this tournament so far. They were losing to Oregon State at one point throughout that game, pretty late in the game, if I recall correctly. And then they played Rutgers before that. And they were losing almost the whole entire time of that game as well. And that yeah. just kind of scares me because you cannot fall behind against Baylor. And if they fall behind by six, seven or eight points, Baylor's just going to run away with it. And I just have much yeah. more confidence in Baylor taking that game. No, I, I mean, I agree. It's I have Baylor, like I said, that three headed monster led uh, led by Davion and Maceo. And that three head is really just interchangeable. Mm -hmm. because the first two do so well and what's what's funny and what i really realized by watching that sweet 16 in elite eight game i really focused on macy at because that's the one guy that i couldn't think of his name every time i think of that team and he's one of the big leaders and he's got a hitch in his three-point shoot his catch and shoot has a hitch yeah but his regular just shot his jump shot doesn't have a hitch which it is a curiosity thing for me. It's like, why does that? But I've started to not question it. If it goes mm -hmm. in and you're scoring points, why does it matter what it looks like? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But 
I mean, I, I think that Baylor's going to run away with that. And then I obviously think Gonzaga's going to win the other one. I think there's a yep. good matchup down low this, this week, though. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Evan Mobley is a good matchup against whoever he plays. But I don't think he was, and I don't want to say prepared or ready, but it kind of caught him off guard, mm-hmm. maybe, you know. But, I, I mean, I think that they, I mean, I, th- I don't know if UCLA could do it, but I definitely have Gonzaga winning that game, but I, I think it's going to be a good, fun game to watch. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a good game, <clears throat> too. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't think it's going to last uh, extremely long. I think it's going to be over rather quick, just the way Gonzaga, they don't really, this is going to sound like a dog type saying here, but they don't really fool around with their prey, I guess you could say. <laughs> they kind of just, they kind of put them out of their uh, misery rather fast. But that being said, Gonzaga is going to win this game. But James Jacques Jr. has been an absolute just fun player to watch in this tournament. He's got the hair. He's got the headband. He's got the swag. And he's got the story as well. Great story. Transferred. Wasn't a starter at first. Worked his way back up. And he's at UCLA starting in the tournament now, which is awesome. I mean, you can't ask for a much better storyline than that. But yeah, Gonzaga's definitely going to win this game. When you have Jalen Suggs and you have yeah. uh, Drew Timmy and just Corey Kispert, Joel Hawaii, like this game's just not, I don't think, going to be close. I'm, I don't even know what the spread's at right now. If I had to take a guess, it's probably around like eight or nine and a half. And like I said, Gonzaga doesn't really mess around, so I'd probably take the over. Because if you just look at their final scores, if we just look at their tournament games, 85-66, 83-65, 87-71, 98-55. I think like, a, big, a big thing for this game, too, is pace of play. Dude, their closest game this year was beating BYU by 10 points. I'm looking at their full <laughs> schedule right now. Their closest game this year was a 10-point victory and on a 30-game win streak, which is insane because they are the only team really, I think, I feel pretty confident saying this. They are the only team in college basketball where like it would not surprise me if I'm like, whoa, Gonzaga put up 100 points because 100 points in a college basketball game is a lot. But with Gonzaga doing it, they've done it multiple times this year. It's not like, it's just not that big of a deal. Like, it's a big deal, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like, <laughs> holy crap, this team put up 100 points. It's like, oh, Gonzaga put up 100 points again. Of course they did. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't blow your mind away knowing that they put up 100 points. I mean, like, if Michigan put up 100 points, I'd be like, oh, shoot, Michigan put up 100 oh, points? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it would definitely be a different, whoa, whoa, <laughs> you know? But I, I completely understand what you're saying there because i agree yeah so now to the moment me and drew have been waiting for pretty much since we started this podcast we've been able uh, to talk a lot of baseball since last um uh october yeah because we haven't been able to talk a lot of baseball but it's finally back ladies and gentlemen baseball starts tomorrow and i cannot wait we talked about our excitement earlier there's so many storylines You have the Los Angeles Dodgers who have bought more players than I've ever seen in my entire life, more than the Yankees, bringing over Trevor Bauer and the absolute stud Cy Young winner, just to add to that filthy rotation with Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller. And just on the other side of the street in LA, you've got the whole storyline of Shohei Otani, hopefully finally being able to stay healthy and we can see a full season of him pitching and hitting. And then you head out East and you've got to see if the New York Yankees, are they going to be able to finally stay healthy and go win a, AL pennant or at least win the AL East this year and 
there's just there's so many storylines so we're gonna dive into all of them right here so what do you uh what do you want to start off with bud i uh you know i don't i i am prepared for anything so you go ahead you pick if you would like okay so i guess let's work east to west so i kind of want to start off in the east so we'll start off in the nor'eastern area of the united states so we'll start off since i was just talking about the yankees we're going to start off looking at the al east i guess so You've got the Rays, who had a trade in Snell, and that's not a – or, sorry, Blake Snell. And that <laughs> was just an absolute embarrassment for that franchise. And we talked about this before. We're not getting into it again. But Kevin Cash, that's why you don't always listen to analytics because there's still human yep. feel inside of games. Past that, he's gone. He's in San Diego now, as Ron Burgundy would say. So that's kind <laughs> of one less, like, really tough Cy Young winning pitcher the Yankees have to face. The Red Sox aren't the same team at all. They seem like they're kind of tearing it apart. They're going to rebuild. And then you've got the Orioles, who I'm not even going to give another word to them. And then you've got the Toronto Blue Jays, who have some young players like Bo Bichette and Guerrero Jr., who I think's probably going to have lost about, because I know he said his weight a few weeks ago, but by the time the season starts tomorrow, he'll probably be down, I would say, around 50 pounds from where he was. Yeah, he needs to be down. Yeah, which is great for his long-term health, just his physicality in general. That means he's going to have more muscle because his dad was never like he was a big guy, but he was like not big, big like yeah. Vlad Vlad was never was. Vlad Senior was never a big old hefty dude. He just knew how to swing a stick, man. I mean, he could hit anything near the plate. But I mean, so can Vladdy Junior. It's just a different watch when Vladdy Junior plays because. One, they play different positions, so you watch with a different anticipation. Mm-hmm. Vladdy Sr., to me, was more of a all-around threat at the plate, Yeah, where Junior's more of throw it over, I'm going to hit it out. Sr. was more of a, I'm going to find a way to get this ball in play and get on base. Whether it be four or two, I'm going to do something with it. Yeah, and is- Vlad- Yeah, and Vlad Sr., I will never forget, he would just, at home run derbies it was spotlighted the most because you're only staring at one person dude would just put tape around his fingers where his blisters were and just had zero issue never wore batting gloves no bat tape just toss a little bit of tape athletic tape onto the fingers where the blisters were and you're good to go so leading to my main question i think we can both agree like with the question is this the yankees division to lose which is yes but my question to you i guess is how disappointing would it be? And what are the ramifications for this Yankees franchise if they are just having another full injury riddled season and they somehow either lose or they choke in the playoffs again and they don't make a World Series? I think you got to at least make a World Series this year if you're in New York. Honestly, I, I think, yeah, it's Yankees to lose. And I think if it comes to judge injury, Stanton injury, you lose guys early and often. Labor Torres getting hurt again. Yeah, I think you're going to need to start pawning off. And I don't mean it as in go get Jose Iglesias for Glaber Torres. I mean, go try and get a secondary steady. Go try and get Jose, or Javier Baez. Go try and get Trevor Story for Glaber Torres and a money and another player. And because sooner than later you're going to have to be what everybody in New York expects you to be. Yeah. And you can't do that if the two biggest names on your team combined to play under 110 games mm-hmm. because that's where you run into problems. Aaron Judge two years ago was one of the best power-hitting baseball players 
we've seen in a long time. Yeah. Last year, he played – well, last year he played less than half the games. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that which is unfortunate, you know. And Giancarlo Stanton, Miami would love to have him back. And they're getting pieces <laughs> and building blocks with guys that we've never even heard of. You yeah. know, they're so good. They have figured out how to win games by just building a team of, and I don't want to say nobodies, but building the team of under the radar guys. Yeah. And I think that the Yankees can exploit that. If John Carlos mm-hmm. gets hurt and he comes back and he's hitting 200, find out a trade. You have yeah. to, cause you got to get some more stability along with ability in mm-hmm. that lineup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you just look at the Yankees roster, there's there's no excuses when you've got Garrett Cole, who yeah. is probably well. I'm not gonna say that now because we're gonna get into that after we talk about this. <laughs> um, and then you've got <laughs> the spoilers here. And then you've got Corey Kluber, and you traded for Jamison Tyon, who's a stud too. And then you just look at the roster. You got the position players. You got Gary Sanchez, who I've never been that high on because he can't seem to block a ball half the time or he's like to swing at a bunch of balls in the dirt. But then you've got DJ LeMahieu, who I love as a player, as consistent as it gets out there. Glaber Torres, Gio Yashirla, who's shown flashes. And then you've got Clint Frazier still. You've got Aaron Hicks out there with the cannon. And then not to mention, you still have good depth in Brett Gardner. And then you have the old vet, Jay Bruce. And I haven't even mentioned Aaron Judge or Jay Bruce make it. Jay Bruce may get some of the best playing time of his career after Cincinnati, just being able to play behind Stanton and judge. Yeah. I cannot believe he's still in the MLB to this day. (laughs) See, I don't, but journeyman to me, to me, it doesn't, I mean, I don't know. He's only 33, you know? So, I mean, and he's played fine enough to keep himself there, Mm -hmm. you know? I think that it's just a matter of time before we see, uh, hey, guys, I'm out. I've had enough. Yeah, and I want to ask you an interesting question here. <clears throat> so this isn't necessarily the, typically not the case in baseball. It has been before. Like we just saw Vlad Jr. lose weight, but not necessarily due to injury. But we see in basketball, in football, these guys that are overweight get hurt more often than others. Aaron Judge, a 6'7", 282. And John Carlos standing at 6'6", 245. I'm not saying that I think they should do this. I'm not like really giving my opinion because baseball is a different sport from all the other sports. But do you think 282 pounds is a factor when you're swinging with that much torque, that much power that your body may not just be able to handle it or the running and the precision that it takes? And do you think maybe those two should look at maybe dropping 20, 30 pounds to get to a more comfortable playing weight that their body can handle? See, I, I don't. I think where they're at is fine. Yeah. I think they just need to be more in control of the swings. So instead of trying to swing violent and basically swing to hurt yourself, yeah. slow it down and swing to get on base, swing to get base hits because you've proven you have the power to hit 30 home runs a season, 40 home runs a season. You have, I mean, go do that, but don't do it intentionally. Does that make sense? And it may not to a lot of people, but you, you have to turn your intent down a little bit because mm-hmm. obviously Aaron Judge can hit the ball out by a long, long way. But mm-hmm. in 2020, he hit 257. You know, I mean, that's not, that's not great. That's not where you want a prolific player 
2B. You want him to be in the 280s, the 290s, mm-hmm. maybe even mid-270s with the home run total. But you can drop a couple of home runs to gain that. Mm-hmm. And a couple of home runs is like three or four. You know, you're still going to lead the league. You're still going to be the power threat. But you don't need to be that guy anymore. And Giancarlo Stanton hit 250. He's a 268 career hitter. You'd like to see that a little mm-hmm. bit more, a little bit higher. Yeah. You know? So I think it's. Yeah, I agree with all those points. It was just a question I had never really thought about in the terms of baseball before until I really started looking at these guys as like sizes. Cause like we've seen it with Zion, we've seen it with other guys in these other leagues that they're just too big for their own good. So I just thought it'd be interesting to see your take on that and like the baseball world. So. Staying on the East Coast, we're now going to head over to the NL East with the Phillies, Mets, Marlins, Nationals, and Braves. And this is going to be an interesting division this year. This is, very this is, the, this is the Braves to lose due to the fact that they've had it for the past three years. And then you, as the Mets, you want so bad to overtake that. And I think if you're going to do it, this is the year to do it. When it's fresh, when there's new guys, new faces, you're healthy, jump on it early, get a good game lead, and just stick with it. Yeah, and this is a division two where I I don't think the Marlins do. I think they expect to compete, but I don't think they expect to win. But these other four teams' fan bases yeah. and like ownership and management all expect to win. The Phillies have spent loads of money oh, yeah. signing Bryce Harper, bringing over veterans like Andrew McCutcheon, Jake Arrieta. Used to be out there, but he went back to the Cubs. Yeah, JT Realmuto. And then you go to the Nationals. They still have Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, young stud Juan Soto, and yeah, they have they, a whole bunch of things going for them. Won a too. World Series not too long ago, and their fan base does not see that as a fluke. No, and then you go you to know? the no, then you go to the Braves who have Ronald Acuna Jr. Ozzy yeah. Alsby's, you have Dansby Swanson, Freddie yeah. Freeman. Apparently, Pablo Sandoval had a very good spring training, which is why yeah, they brought no, him I, back, who can I be a valuable that. veteran bat that you can bring in. Not to mention Mike Sirocco's coming back this year for yeah. them. And Sirocco they brought in Charlie huge, Morton. Yes. Those two names are huge that you just mentioned the last two. I'm not going to give anything away for later, but Mike Sirocco could be a real threat this year in the National League if he can stay healthy the whole year. We saw what he could do at 19 late, and we saw what he was doing 20 early until he got hurt. But once mm-hmm. he, if he's health, when he's healthy, he is a force on the mound. Now, what we also are is going to be interesting to see is the MLB draft and who goes where, who gets what, and things like that. Which this particular division, I think, has some place to to grow at the bottom i think this Mm -hmm. is a very very competitive division but i think that the the nationals and the marlins are fighting for fourth if you will because i think the phillies are going to make that kind of push like you said with harper with getting segura back with having robles real muto but the braves I, i think the best team in that division is the mets just from top to bottom yeah, I think the Braves know how to put it all together. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and the Phillies, they still have Aaron Nola, too, who is in yeah. Cy Young contention, stud pitcher. And I even realized, I've totally forgot about this because the Yankees moved on. They signed D.D. Gregorius as well, who's a solid shortstop yep. as yep. well. But, yeah. Well, they had D.D. last year a little bit. He played yeah, well. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to pull up the text right now 
So uh -oh. Josh Josh Morningstar is a uh -oh. diehard Nationals fan. And I can tell you from Nationals firsthand experience, he still thinks the Nats are going to come in first or second. He said, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. He said, I said, I have Atlanta winning again. I said, Mets are a good team, probably have them coming in second, but they can never put it together due to injury, which is something I'm going to hit on here in a second. And he said, true. He said, but the Nats, I'm looking at them at number two in that division. And I was like, I don't know about that one, Josh, the Nats coming yeah. in at number two, but we'll see. But yeah, so that's the biggest thing is like all these fan bases besides the Marlins think they can win this division, but the Mets, the Mets is the X factor. That is the key for this division for years and years and years. We have been saying, Oh, if the Mets could stay healthy, they would have one of the best rotations in baseball all the way yep. back to send it when Syndergaard, DeGrom, Steven Matz, Matt Harvey were all on the same pitching staff with, I think it was Jacob Wheeler rounding it off. Yep. And everybody's Zach like, Wheeler. this is insane. Zach Wheeler. Yeah. They're like, this could be one of the best rotations of all time. And we've been hearing that for years on years and years. And somebody always gets hurt somebody yep. and until they prove me wrong i don't think i can ever pick them to win this position because they just can't stay healthy and i'm honestly i understand the hype around pete alonzo but i'm not the biggest like pete alonzo guy he hit 252 last year drew i don't care how yeah. many home runs you hit you hit 252 like that is not and he's 26 so he's young but he's not like a bunch of these young guys when they're coming into well, the he's league. not like, i mean he's yeah he's not new no, to the game of baseball you no, know how to play it you know how to you know who you're gonna see I mean, yeah. you have more than four at-bats against guys now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just – I'm not the biggest – nothing personal, obviously. I'm just not the biggest fan of his style of baseball, I guess. I don't think it's the most effective that it could be. But, yeah, until this team kind of proves the whole injury-riddled organization otherwise, I don't really think I can buy any stock into them winning the division. No, I, I would tend to agree with every point that was made there. All right, so then moving next, we're going to head – out west a little bit and we're going to take a stop into the al central so in the al central we're looking at the kansas city royals the defending champs of the division the chicago white Sox, then the minnesota twins cleveland indians and detroit tigers me personally i think this is probably the weakest division in baseball this year uh detroit has nothing going for them we still got hopefully <laughs> for them maybe casey mize becomes something their number one draft pick from a few years ago which he's looking like he probably will be but we still have to wait on that cleveland kind of cleaned house they traded francisco lindor they're kind of restarting as a team and a brand in general because they're getting rid of the cleveland indians name after this season which i personally just kind of thought was funny they were like all right so we're going to change our name but we're keeping it for one more season <laughs> before we do it. And then even the Minnesota Twins, who still have Miguel Sano, they now have Angelton Simmons, Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson. They've got some good guys. You've got the guy that people still, for some reason, have still never given up on and look at him as the first-round pick that he was and Byron Buxton, who I don't really know why people still hold on to him. As I, think it takes, I, think it takes, I think it takes one, one year – for him to really bust out, be that first round draft pick, and then people start to settle down on that. But we haven't seen that yet. But dude, That's they've been the saying problem. that for like five years at this point, though. Oh That's no, no, I, 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 yeah, I get that, and I think it needs to happen once so that we can hear all, like we can stop listening to all these people in our faces and just say, all right, you, you got to move on from it. You saw that it can happen. It's over, though. Yeah, you know. It yeah, and then so going to the next team, you've got the White Sox. 
bringing back Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Michael Coppitz, Lucas Giolito, who might have a breakout season. They brought in Liam Hendricks. That was a big acquisition that they had, along with guys that can still be very valuable to your organization, like bringing in Dallas Keuchel, great, great veteran to bring in there, along with Yoan Mankata, still a young stud middle infielder, yeah. and rounding it off with the Royals, who they got Andrew Benatendi in that trade for the Red Sox, kind of settled. They were restarting. They still have Salvador Perez. They still have a few of the guys from that World Series team, which seems like forever ago at this point. But uh, yeah, that team's just not looking all that well. So I guess the question is, it doesn't seem like there's much to look forward to in this division besides the <laughs> no. White Sox. But what are you most looking forward to? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say... Honestly, them being done with the year. I think I'm ready for them oh to God. be done. Um, no, nah, in, in all seriousness, I think it'll be exciting to see, like you said, uh, Casey Mize. Um, I'm also really excited to see how Bobby Witt Jr. plays Okay, in Good Kansas point. City, which yeah. I will talk about him again in a few minutes. But I think that's a huge thing. And then the Indians pitching staff with no no more COVID rules, no more – isolation issues i want to see how zach please Zach comes back mm-hmm. i want to see how um bieber comes off of that year and i want to see how they can build that bottom half after losing some more pieces mm-hmm. i want to see how the front two lead the bottom three um and i also think it's going to be interesting because they lost francisco but you yep. still have jose ramirez and yep. um the first baseman that they had last year i a big stud first baseman is huge. I know his name. I can't think of it at the moment, but that's big. They lost Tyler Naquin, which mm-hmm. their outfield is Framil Reyes now, who's the biggest name that you have in your outfield is not great because mm-hmm. he's, he's a power guy, but it's not exciting. So I'm most excited for the Royals in this division, I think, just to see if they can give the White Sox a run because I think that they have the ability to this year. Yeah with every piece healthy and back. but we'll Are you see. talking about Carlos Santana? Or not yeah, Carlos? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, Carlos Yeah, Santana. no, it's Carlos Santana. That's exactly yeah, okay. right, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, I still think he's got the ability to be a good first baseman in the MLB. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm really excited to watch this White Sox team. Kind of like just some of those players I was naming off. You look at their organization from a pitching standpoint. Lucas Giolito, he's looks like he's going to be a stud. Michael Coppich, I know the game me and you went to at the Charlotte Knights at BB&T Ballpark. Yep, he was pitching yep. that game. And even though I think – Michael Kopech is going to be a, a force when he gets going. Yeah, we saw him pitch twice for the Charlotte Knights when we went. And the one time we went, he got absolutely shelled. I remember. Yeah, yeah. It was terrible. But the other time he went, he pitched like a one-hitter through seven innings, I think it was. And yeah. it was a great game. And you've got him. you got Dallas Keuchel, good veteran presence, who's never thrown hard. So I think him aging, he'll still be able to be very effective because he's used to not having to blow it by guys. And you've also got veterans and Lance Lynn and then Carlos Rodon, who went to NC State just a few hours away from here. He's still a young guy that has a lot to prove. And then just looking at him, you got Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, Jake Lamb, we've talked about before. He's a guy that could be huge for your lineup if he hits his stride along with Yoan Mankata, who's still got a lot to prove for himself. Young, second base and middle infielder. That could really be a force in this league. The outfield yeah. is the only spot I'm not very confident with the White Sox. I feel like that's definitely their weakest like squad with Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Adam Engel, and Adam Eden. Because Adam Eden, we know, is definitely aged now. And the other three guys are decent, but I don't think any of them are like... Uh, they're young. Like Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert are young, but... 
that's definitely that's I'm just like kind of nitpicking at this point, but that's definitely the unit that I feel like the least confident in out of them. Yeah, no, I uh, I would agree. Yeah, so I was about to say be a fun division. It's not going to be a fun division to watch, but it'll be a fun division to keep track of the middle of the pack and see how close it is the whole time, I guess. But then I guess the last thing is you just just keep an eye out on Minnesota. I'm not too too high on them. But, hey, they've got some big bats in that lineup, and they could put something together with Sano, Donaldson, and Cruz. That could be a pretty fun, like, three, four, five to watch if they can all put it together in the lineup there. So then moving over to the National League Central, you've got the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Brewers, the Reds, and the Pirates. And yeah. this division, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, is going to be very competitive but not because they necessarily have the best teams in baseball, but at least in my opinion, but it's because the three teams at the top, the Cubs, Brewers, and Cards are all like kind of just so close to each other in talent wise. And I think are a step above Cincinnati and the Pirates and maybe a step and a half above Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, so... Maybe two or three steps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause if you're looking at the Cardinals, huge, huge acquisition with Nolan Arenado and you're still bringing back, Mr. All Reliable for them, Matt Carpenter, along with Paul Goldschmidt, who, while he's been solid for them, never has really hit a stride with them like he was on the D-backs, like that MVP-type level player. And then you still got great pitching, too, with Jack Flaherty. And you've got Carlos Martinez, who's a spark plug pitcher, and some other guys. And then you're looking at the Pirates, who I'll get into here in a minute. Not looking at much here, Chad, Chad Cool. No. Chad Cool is our opening day, but I'm just teasing these teams right now before we start talking about them. Chad Cool is our opening day guy. We've got Cabrian Hayes to look forward to, yada, yada, yada. Next team, Cincinnati Reds. You guys are bringing back Joey Votto, pretty usual. Been there forever, live, die, retire as a Cincinnati Red. Yeah. You've got Sonny Gray. You're bringing back, just you were talking about Tyler Naquin. You guys took yep. him now on your team, kind of hopped across states, few states there real quick, or same state, my bad. Yeah, same a couple state, of county lines. Across. Yeah, exactly. And then looking at the <laughs> Cubs, David Ross, the second year as manager, a lot of the same guys from that World Series still. Chris Bryant, they brought back Jake Arrieta, which I think is going to be big for them. Wilson Contreras, who I can't stand. And they also brought in Trevor Williams from Pittsburgh, which kind of hurts. And then Milwaukee's the last team with the absolute stud that he is, Christian Yelich. Bringing in Jackie Bradley Jr. was big. Colin Wong, who I'm surprised he traveled in division like that. And Lorenzo Cain and just some other guys. So it's definitely going to be interesting division. So give me your first thoughts. I mean, obviously my first thoughts are, I think it's a, it's a great division this year. I think it's a very competitive division. There's a lot of moving parts within the division. And like you said, a Colton Wong's moving over. But I, I don't, I'm still not like terribly high on the Cardinals. I'm not yeah. saying that we will like beat them all the, every game and we're going to sweep every series, but I don't think that they're the best team in that division mm. on my side, just because, yeah, you got two pieces that are big on the, in the field, but they're still extremely young. It's still have a little bit of pitching depth, but it's not like, what it used to be. Carlos mm -hmm. Martinez is always going to be a guy that you can lean on to be there, but I think he's starting to become more streaky as he ages. Yeah, he's a spark. He's like a spark plug type guy. Yeah. I, I think the Cubs, I mean, I, I don't like the Cubs at all. I think there's some 
a little bit of crybabiness to some of them players over there. Um, I think Anthony Rizzo is just kind of there. He's always a good first baseman. I think he's still trying to be Freddie Freeman at this mm-hmm. point in his career, and it's just not going to happen. So he hasn't yet accepted that he's the second or third best first baseman in yeah. the league or in the uh, NL. But, I mean, I uh, the Pirates, I'm not going to say anything too I'll negative. I'll get into them here in a second. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I just – I think that and – it, and it's not necessarily – anybody's fault that's on the team currently i blame blame more management and ownership on how the team is right now um the brewers are always pretty competitive. oh yeah it, no it's it's bob nutting it's the owner of the team he's the cheapest <laughs> guy you will meet in your entire life <laughs> but i'll talk about the reds a little bit more now like so cincinnati lost a couple pieces but had a couple pieces um we made a change where eugenio suarez will be the everyday shortstop which I think is huge knowing that we've had him there the whole time and giving him the ability to play short and still have a piece at third and Jonathan India playing second, I think is huge. Had a huge spring training. Joey Votto will play time in and out. Um, Jesse Winker's coming off a great, great season last year. I think if you can keep him powerful, keep him healthy, he's going to be a good, good outfielder, a force out there. Coming mm-hmm. back again, Sinzel should be healthy. That would be huge if we can keep him healthy. Um, Nicholas Castellanos, uh, Luis Castillo, the opening day starter again. Sonny Gray's back. We have the pieces to do it. Uh, Tyler Stevenson made the MLB roster. He's going to be the backup, which is to be expected after being behind Tucker Barnhart, who's a Gold Glove Award winner multiple years in a row, which you can't be upset about. I think I need to see a little bit more productivity from him at the plate to be like happy with him. For but sure. I, I'm never disappointed in the way that Tucker plays behind the plate, but I just need a little bit more consistently at the plate. But I, I, I mean, I'm excited obviously for how we are going to play this year. We have three or four arms out of the pen that throw 98 plus, which is huge in late innings of a game up by one or two. We need to shut it down. Velo is always going to be something that is hard to catch up with. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I'll, I'll toss it to you for the Pirates talk now. Yeah, so real quick before I get into the Pirates, uh, I'm going to just bring up a point about those other three favorite teams real quick. So if you look at the Cubs, Cards, and uh, Brewers, who are the three predicted like top teams and who I think are going to finish up top two, they all have like pretty glaring weaknesses. Chicago yeah. Cubs starting rotation, very big weakness in my opinion. Yeah. Cause you're looking at Kyle Hendricks, who his prime in my opinion is probably over with and use a changeup pitcher to begin with. So I don't think he's going to age very well when it comes to his fastball. Jake Arietta is not getting any younger by any means at all. And Trevor Williams seeing him in Pittsburgh for the past few years, very hit or miss inconsistent. He's probably going to finish a game or two under 500 or maybe a game or two. He's a 50, 50 pitcher. It's really what he is. Yeah. And then if you look at the Brewers, same thing, I think they're uh, starting pitchings relatively weak. And they have a strong outfield for sure with Christian Yelich out there and Lorenzo Cain and Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah, I think Jackie Bradley Jr. was a big tra- transaction this year. Huge. But I think their pitching and their catching too is a pretty big – or catching as well is a pretty big weakness. But their infielder – their infield's solid, but it's not great. Let's put it that way. But I think starting pitching and catchers are a big weakness as well for Milwaukee. And then finishing off with uh, St. Louis – 
I think, I mean, their infield's loaded. We all know their infield's loaded. Their outfield's young. There's still a lot to see out of their outfield. I'm not the most confident in their outfield, but kind of the same thing, starting pitching, like, yeah, you've got Adam Wainwright, but how old is he now? Like mid thirties, exactly. <laughs> I think it's like 37. Yeah, mid to late thirties. And you have Carlos Martinez, who's spark plug, hot, cold. You have Andrew Miller, who's aging as well. And I just don't see their starting lineup that Adam, great. And then Adam Wainwright is 39 years old, will be 40 <laughs> during the season. Wow. And then I think the catcher position was something I needed to look at too. Like I understand the Yachty respect and that he's a wall and everything. This dude was born in 1982. Like he's getting extremely old for a catcher. And 38. He been, yeah. And he hasn't been able to hit for years. Like for years, this dude yeah, has not been no. able to hit. And he uses and pine tar to make stops. Just putting that out there. He was caught exactly. with it last and their, season. And their backup is Andrew Kisner. And I don't know who that is either. And I don't know if you do. <laughs> so uh, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So I think the catcher position is definitely something they should have checked out. So like every team's kind of very strong in a position. Like the Brewers are very strong in outfield and the cards and cubs are very strong in the infield, in my opinion. And, but there's very glaring weaknesses from all the other surrounding units. So then, yeah, looking at the pirates, just want to give a quick shout out first. I don't know if you saw Kevin Newman, he went 11 of 20 in spring oh. training, 606 in 33 at bats, 606 batting average. I think we can call him young goat. Maybe, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe not yet. The Pirates <laughs> will trade him and then that name will stick. Yeah, but looking at the team, you can stop me if you need some clarification on these names because I don't expect baseball <laughs> fans to know these. But if you're looking at the starting lineup, we're going to be having Chad Cool, who's had Tommy John. He's been with us for four or five seasons now. He's a solid low ball pitcher, kind of a sinker. He'll kill you with a two seam. It's definitely not the ace of a staff, but looks like he's going to be our ace. <laughs> and then you've got Mitch Keller, young, young guy, and huge expectations for him. As big of expectations for him as there were when Tyler Glass now was brought up through the organization. Yeah. We and we saw, saw we saw how that happened. Yeah. So Mitch Keller struggled a little bit last year, but it was a weird year. I'm just going to kind of hope I can contribute it to that. And this season he comes back and really shows some promise because he was absolutely obliterating AAA. And this is kind of what worries me about the Pirates too. It's a totally different coaching staff than when Clint Hurdle was here and everything a few years ago. But Tyler Glass now was setting records for strikeouts in AAA, came up to the MLB, got absolutely shelled, just obliterated every single time. And Mitch Keller is kind of doing the same thing. He's setting records and doing insane stuff for the uh, Indianapolis Indians, the AAA team. Triple A team for Pittsburgh, but then he comes to the MLB and he gets killed. So I'm hoping they can figure out a way to fix that this year. And then Steven Brault, lefty, he'll be in the rotation too, just because he's a lefty. If he was a righty, I don't think he'd probably be in our rotation. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's unlikely. Yeah, and then going to catchers, Jacob Stalling again is going to be our top catcher. Sick, can't wait for that one. And then <laughs> we're going to have Aaron or Adam Frazier playing second base. Very consistent utility guy. Love the right hand, right arm throwing in the field, left-handed when he comes up to hit. Love that aspect. Kevin Newman, who I'm hoping can stay hot. Just I know he's not going to hit 606, but if he can at least hit like 285, 290, that would be amazing. And then Colin Moran, he's been, a, he's been a big bat for a while, but this dude's worse than fielding ground balls than Pedro Alvarez was. If you remember who Pedro Alvarez yeah. was, and he was pretty awful at fielding ground balls. But the big guy I want to focus on is Cabrian Hayes. 
young guy. His dad was in the league, born in 97, extremely young, made his debut September 1st of last year where he hit 374. And that's pretty, or sorry, his last season combined with this season's spring trainings at 374, but that's only like a 50 or so 60 game sample size. There's still a lot to be seen, but it's like something as a Pirates fan we can look forward to mm-hmm. because he does look like he's kind of going to be that stud guy that can like put a team on his back. Yeah. He had 431 last year, which yeah, that's insane. And for the time that he was called up. So just a few games, 17 games. So I'm hoping he can uh, keep that pace or just, he won't, he obviously won't keep that pace, but he can do something with it. And so then moving on to the outfield, we have Anthony Alford, who is another young guy. And they have a lot of hope in him. And I do too, because we need somebody stable in the outfield now, since we don't have any young guys besides Brian Reynolds, who I love, but I'm not a fan of Gregory Polanco. That dude's been around way too long with way too many freaking loopy straight uppercut swings. And I can't stand watching him play baseball. And he just has so many mental errors. Like I remember, I don't know. You've probably heard it too. Coaches would say you can fix physical errors, but you can't fix mental errors. And Gregory Polanco has a lot of freaking mental errors that are just like, dude, like, are you even watching or paying attention to the game right now? What is happening? So the team's going to be very young. It's going to be a rough season. We'll probably have the best odds to get Kumar, who I'm assuming they'll pick. I don't really know, but he seems like the number one draft is, pick. Is that who you would take first, or would you take Jack Leiter? I don't know. Kumar's body might be better built. He's a lot bigger of a guy. Yeah, but... He's built better for 162 games, even though he's not playing all 162, obviously, because he's a pitcher. I just have a better tr- I don't know dude I literally stood at first base next to him when I hit a single yeah, yeah. we played their team and that dude was like two of me standing on top of each other and then you add like 100 pounds onto that hey, he didn't he didn't get a hit off me I'm just saying yeah out of, I caught that game and Will Banfield told me I had a great block who got drafted by the Marlins in the first round a couple years ago I just wanted to put that out there yeah good job I, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's gonna or I guess before we move on real quick the NL Central I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I don't remember. I remember I picked the Cubs just because I think they have the best offense. But are you looking at the Brewers, I guess, then, if you don't like the Cards or the Cubs to win that division? Or what are you looking I mean, at? obviously, obviously, I'm going with us to win the division Okay. in, like, a fan. So delusional, Drew, is going with the Reds. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would say <laughs> delusional. I mean, I didn't pick the Pirates to win it, but, hey, I, didn't I mean. Either. And I'm wearing my Pirates I, yeah. sweatshirt right now. And drinking out of a 1980 Pittsburgh Pirates glass that still has Barry Bonds on it. You know, the good old days. When they had him for right before his peak. Yeah. Right. Hey, we had him when he was clean, though, right? No needles in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> did, they te- did they test back that far or do we not know for sure? I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, all jokes aside, I do think that the Reds have a chance this year to do it Mm -hmm. i I think the bats have to be consistent i just think that in that division particularly from top to bottom if our arms can stay healthy and pitch every every game to the ability that they have i think that we have the best rotation that's that's kind of why i think us is the rotation just boosts us so much in that division but yeah we'll see how the bats look tomorrow you know we got flaherty versus castillo so it'll be interesting, but yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the reds in the division. Okay. Okay. So now we are going to go all the way 
out west where we have the A's, the Mariners, the Astros, the Rangers, and the Angels. Starting off with the Athletics, won the division last year, um, bringing back a relatively similar team. Still have Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, some good bats in there. Brought over Trevor Rosenthal and uh, Mike Fires and some other guys. And then looking over to the Angels, I hope, hope for Mike Trout's sake, they finally make the playoffs this year. But they're bringing back Shohei Otani, which he's coming back from injury. Tommy John, which I'm excited for. Like I kind of said earlier, I'm excited to see if he can finally get through a full season because he could be a super fun player to watch. But you've got Shohei, you got Mike Trout. You've got the defensive stud, Jose Iglesias. They brought over Dexter Fowler, which I think was interesting because he's a good veteran and good defensively, but he still can't – like he's kind of too old to be hitting well now still – and then Anthony Redone. And then you can't forget either that they traded for Jose Quintana at the trade deadline last season when they thought they might be making a push. But everybody who's been watching baseball since Mike Trout under the league knows that the Angels are not making a playoff push. No, they, they're not. They're not. And then, <laughs> Mike Trout is making a playoff push. The Angels are not making a playoff push. And now we're going over to the Seattle Mariners. Uh, and you still got Mitch Haniger. You've got Kyle Seeger, who I've always loved. I think he's always been a bit underrated. And that team seems to just be scrappy sometimes, but they don't ever really seem to be able to put it together. They're not the most functional baseball organization. And then you go to the Texas where you've got two interesting situations going on. First one, you still got the cheaters of the South cheaters of America with the Houston Astros. They lost George Springer, which was big for them. They still have the core of Correa and Altuve. They don't have Garrett Cole anymore like they did a few years ago. We all know that. They still got Alex Bregman. They got Justin Verlander, Granke, and the list goes on and on and on. They've got players. And then we're wrapping off with the stadium that will be opening up at 100% capacity. 100%, but as long as you wear a mask, it's 100%, okay? You can be shoulder to shoulder, but you got to wear a mask. I think they just got rid of um, Rugnad Odor, who I remember was uh, fighting Jose Batista a few years ago. They've got your boy Joey Gallo that you co-signed a few weeks ago, and they've got a few guys on that squad. I don't think there's too much going on, but I guess my question to you, whose division is it to lose? Because I think it's Houston, and tell me what you think about that, and I guess just I don't know. It's just an interesting division in general. Like none of these teams are like the most consistent. Definitely think the West is the division that we look at for most improved team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's very fair when you have like the Astros I mean, have, coming back from 40, 50 game win seasons to where they are now in the athletics as well. It's a fair statement. Yeah. I mean, when you look at like, and three of their teams are always bottom teams in the entire MLB, not just the division they struggle to win compared to any other team, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge thing is the Rangers, I think have the most to prove as in improve. Um, I think the angels have the same odds as they always do. Mike Trout's going to battle for the MVP. You're going to struggle with your rotation and people are going to tell you, you don't have anybody around him. That's just how they play. That's just how they are. Anthony Rendon's a huge piece this year. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they play. Uh, David Fletcher's a big piece. Um, we'll see how that goes. But I, I think I'm taking athletics in this division for their division to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I feel like there's some pieces there that they can play around with. But, I mean, I think this is kind of a, like we say about the NL uh, Central, 
I think mm-hmm. this is I think this is a very similar league or division, but for the opposite reason of the NL Central. They know Central is competitive. It's always going to be a game, a game and a half, and most of those teams are going to be at the top of the MLB, mid part of the MLB. I think we're looking at teams that are going to fight to just squeak into the playoffs. Yeah. Even it being one, we could see a 500 team, but I think it'll be interesting. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I was just thinking that exact same thing. It's a little like the NL Central, not as much talent, I would say, overall in the division, even though they do have like yeah. studs like Mike Trout, obviously, but not as much overall yeah. talent. But yeah, very similar. I'm going to go with the Strohs just because I think they've got the offense. They've got good enough pitching to get through it. I think it's their division to lose. And you kind of like, yeah, even the cheaters, everybody's calling you out. So you're going to get everybody's best stuff. And there may be more physical stuff happening. But I feel like it kind of puts a chip on your shoulder in a way because then a lot of those guys everybody's saying you didn't deserve that championship. You didn't deserve this. You didn't deserve that. So I feel like that may even make them even hungrier to go back. If that makes sense. I'm going to go with Houston for them, but dude, I'm hoping, I hope the angels for Mike Trout's sake, just make the playoffs, man, please. Like I can't imagine his whole hall of fame. Like he's obviously going to be first ballot, but I can't imagine the whole thing and everybody's sitting in there talking and they're like, yeah. And on his resume, he just never made the playoffs. That would just be extremely sad. That would so, be tough. So let me ask, but be. let me ask you this before we move on. Yeah. In your mind, if he never makes a playoffs, does that make him the best center fielder? Yes or no? Even without making the playoffs. I still think he's the best center fielder because baseball is a team sport more than any other. There's so many people you have to rely on. You've got nine people in the starting lineup. You've probably got three to five people pitching that game. There's just way too much to go on and way too many variables for just one person to control. It's not like basketball or if like LeBron James was on a team and he never made the playoffs or anything like that. It's like, dude, it was you and four other guys. You could have done it, but it's a lot different when it's you and like 13 or 14 other guys all playing on that same day. I understand. I, I agree. I, I mean, I think that there's the problem with giving him that nod is that there are so many ahead of him that did go, that do have, that did this, that did that, you know, that he won't or may not get the chance to do. That's where I, I mean, it's unfortunate. Hank Aaron, Griffey Jr. Those, I mean, those are two of the biggest examples that I think he's right behind in my mind, just because he hasn't had the opportunity to play a playoff game. If he gets yeah. that opportunity and he shows off in the playoffs and he's the same player in the playoffs, then I think that there's a pretty clear definition that, yeah, he's the best center fielder that has played. But we've seen Griffey Jr. and Hank Aaron play that same way from start to finish. Yeah, it's definitely a valid point, and you can't like overlook it at all. Just watching him play, I just – I can't pick anybody over him, but he would be the one that the angels make the wild card game and they lose the wild card yeah. game. And they, he goes like three for four and they get sent home. So yep. cause the rest yeah. of the team goes over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So moving over to the NL West, it's pretty much a two man division here. You've got Colorado. <laughs> They've got Trevor story and Charlie Blackman still, but they traded their absolute baller, Nolan Arenado. They still got John gray and, I would say they have Ian Desmond because he's one of their better players on paper, but Ian Desmond's pretty much been on a lockout ever since he signed to Colorado for um, family reasons, which I'm not trying to make fun of the guy, but I'm like, dude, you can't sit out for two seasons in a row. Like it's not fair to the organization. Well, it sounds like a Kyrie. Like what was the family issue? Like, dude, just get a buyout. Yeah. I mean, and I hope it's nothing serious. I truly do. 
I hope, and I don't hope it's he was at bars and strip clubs like we found oh, out. He's not doing Kyrie, that. but I, I mean, it's still you raise some questions like, hey, come on, you got to get back on the field. Let's go. Yeah, and then so the next team we're gonna stop by real quick is I'll probably call the 2015 or 16 maybe NL All-Star team, the San Francisco Giants with Buster Posey <laughs> and Brandon Crawford. Brian and, Wilson. And Brian Wilson, yeah. Can't and forget Evan, the beard. And Evan, and Evan Longoria. <laughs> Brandon Bolt was playing first. Yeah, just a bunch of studs, just all like about six to seven years out of their prime. Johnny Cueto was on their team not too long ago. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that that wasn't the year that Hunter Pence was still there. <laughs> so that team's in a I think they're still like kind of just trying to figure out like what happened in the last 10 years wait we won three yeah. world series and we don't know how it happened or what to do to rebuild but and then you don't even have Madison Bumgarner anymore because he's on the Arizona Diamondbacks so yeah you could have had the full all-star team but you're just missing that one pitcher but who yeah. knows <laughs> but Which I think, over- uh, the Diamondbacks I think is huge having Mad Bum having Weaver I mean, those are some big kind of pieces that you can work around in the rotation. Um, I think Cattell Marte is, is a beast. I mean, that's nothing you can really argue with. No. Uh, Josh Rojas, I mean, that's a second baseman that probably not too many people know. David Peralta, I mean, I'm a big fan of David Peralta. I think that that's a huge piece to their outfield. Um, Nick Ahmed, that's a big, big deal. I mean, he's a good good shortstop he's proven that um christian walker needs another big year first base for them i think that's a big deal um if you can get your infield to play well behind mad bum and behind uh zach gallon and behind weaver i think that you can kind of produce the bats to compete for third place in that division i obviously don't think they're going to compete for first or second no and another guy who i've always loved just because i he's just He's just a consistent, solid guy. He wasn't great, but he hit 270-something every year. He was as solid as he gets defensively, and he just was a good locker room guy. Is, uh, Cole Calhoun from the Angels is now on the Diamondbacks, and I just liked watching him play with Trout. They always seem to have really good chemistry, and he was just always kind of like all reliable. And then they've also got – I might be overstepping a boundary here, Uh-oh. but – May I call him almost a Ryan Fitzpatrick-esque player now and as Drupal Cabrera, who seems to have played for yeah. countless teams in the MLB. He's now found his way to Arizona as well. So I don't expect much from him. But so now that we've got the three teams out of the way that everybody knows are not going to win the division, we're going to go to the two, possibly the two big uh, i'd still probably put the padres behind the braves but two out of the top four at least probably two of top five at the least of the big dogs in the nl in the as, NL. Drubal, as Drubal cabrera in the past two years okay so july 28th to february 22nd of 2021 has been on four different teams the phillies <laughs> the rangers the nationals and the diamondbacks that's all in two years alone that's hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. So um, looking at the Dodgers, we know what they did. They got Trevor Bauer over the offseason. They re-signed Justin Turner. They've got Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Walker Buehler. Dude, I could literally read off their whole entire roster because it's just a bunch of studs. And this is definitely my pick to win the division, my pick to win the NL. But then real quick before we 
kind of dissect the two teams. Looking at the Padres, huge acquisition in Blake Snell. Love that for them. Get a dominant lefty in that rotation. And then you got you Darvish, too. He's still super consistent at this point. And you've got Manny Machado, who's looking for a bounce back year bat-wise. Not Nothing defensively, just more consistent bat-wise again. And then you've got the stud, who I, we both know how we feel about him, not 100% sold. <laughs> yeah. But the league is, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the second coming of Jesus Christ, it seems, in baseball. Even <laughs> though he's only 22 years old and he hit 270 last year. 278, if I recall, but in the 270s for sure. And you've got yeah. Will Myers out there, who I liked from when he was on his Tampa Bay days. But it's definitely going to be an interesting team. And we, so this is kind of, this division is just going to be the battle of California, excluding San Francisco. They, they're too far up North. We can just ignore them. The battle of California <laughs> stays in Southern California between LA and San Diego. And it's yeah. going to be fun to watch. I'm i I'm not too convinced that if Tatis didn't run for, Manfred's place as commissioner tomorrow that he wouldn't win it at 22 years old. <laughs> but I, I, I'm still stuck on this, and I want to I want to say this before I dive deep. As Dribble Cablera in 14 year career has played for seven different teams: Cleveland, Toronto, Washington, Mets, Phillies, Texas, and uh, Nationals again. So seven different teams. But no, I, I agree. I think that I think Blake Snell is huge. Tatis needs to play like he's worth the money that he got. Yeah. If he does not, then it's going to hurt them. Manny Machado definitely, definitely needs some more production at the plate. Um, I think a big name on that team that's, that jumps out at me that may not be a big name to a lot of people is Trent Grisham. Um, you may not know who that is. You may know who that is. Uh, young outfielder. I think if he steps up and competes and plays like he did throughout the season last year, if he can push that into this season, they may overtake uh, the Dodgers just because they have top to bottom consistent. Um, but I'll jump over the Dodgers. Acquiring Trevor Bauer was huge. I mean, you can mm-hmm. never be upset when you get Trevor Bauer. Plus, it gives you some more fluctuation in your starting five, your rotation. What do you do with Dustin May? You kind of more fluctuate with that. Uh, I obviously think that their, I mean, their team, their roster as a whole is top to bottom complete. I mean, you can't argue that. It really starts with Will Smith, to me, as one of your youngest pieces to be competitive. I think Gavin Lux is a big piece this year. For sure. I think that's a huge piece this year. I'm excited to see how he plays. I'm actually, I'm not a huge Dodger guy, but I'm actually really excited to see Gavin Lux get a full 162 games in. Mm. Um, Like you said, I think you were talking about Kyle Seager earlier. I think Corey Seager's coming off of a, a huge postseason so if he can carry that over, I think it's huge for him. Uh, and then Josh Turner re-signed, got it a little bit of an extension. So that's a big piece. And then Mookie Betts and Bellinger in your outfield is always huge. But Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely going to be fun to watch, just the pitching matchups. Because when you go Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller or Trevor Bauer, however they end up having that one, two, three in back-to-back order, if they catch the Padres in that right rotation – or then it's like Blake Snell and you Darvish or something like that. Like those are going to be fun series. And they already got chippy and a little bit physical, like yeah. towards the end of last season. And that's before yeah. the Dodgers acquired Trevor Bauer or yeah, the Padres he's, acquired he's Blake one of the Snell. biggest trash talkers. Those are yeah, two of the and, biggest talkers in and the Blake game. Blake Snell's a fiery guy too. He's not oh, going to yeah. put up with anything either. 
So, yeah, I'm still going to take the Dodgers because they're uh, one of my World Series picks. So that's going to wrap up breaking down the divisions for this coming season. But we are now going to make some preseason predictions. We're going to pick an NL and AL MVP. And then to save some time, we're just going to go to an in general MLB Cy Young rookie and manager. So do you want to start off, Drew, with who you're picking for MVP? Yes, so I'll, I'll say my AL first. I mean, it's, it's hard to not see this coming. I'm going to go Mike Trout in AL. I think that's a, an easy pick, so I'm not even going to spend time on that. Mm-hmm. Um, my NL, as hard as it is to say this, I'm going to go Ronald Acuna Okay. as my NL MVP. 40-40 club last year, which is me, or two years ago, excuse me, which is, I mean, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good after what he's done so far. And I think he's right there behind Fernando Tatis as the next face of the MLB. Uh, Tatis is clearly being considered the face of the MLB right now, and I think Acuna's next. I think Acuna's next to get the the show cover and the next to get the max contract and the next to get those different things. So I think if he wants to, in my mind and in a lot of people's mind, be the bigger face than Tatis and be that guy, I think an MVP this season over Tatis is huge. Now, I want to give a notable mention to Juan Soto, and then that's all I'll say. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, so AL MVP, I don't know how you can go against the best player in baseball. I'm also rocking with Mike Trout. I think he's going to get it again. I'd love to see him get it again. And so, yeah, we're not going to spend any more time on that like Drew. And the NL, dude, the NL was tough. I love Mookie Betts as a player, but I think it's just tough for somebody like him to win an MVP when he's on as much of a star-studded team that he is with Cody Bellinger and Turner. And I mean, the list just goes forever with all of those players on that team. So I can't pick him. And then, see, I don't want to take him. I'm not going to, but Fernando Tatis Jr., I think it's tough because the writers love him. All of like the people with the boats seem to love him. So I feel like if he puts up like a 295 season, 20, 30 bombs, like good defense, everything like that, like even though there may be people with better seasons, I feel like he's going to win it anyway because that's kind of the way like baseball writers and just like the media have been leaning towards in general is like just pushing Fernando Tatis Jr., which is kind of tough. But the guy I'm going with, I'm going to go with Francisco Lindor from the Mets. Oh. I think, yeah, I think he's going to take this Mets team to another level. I think he's going to take him to the playoffs. Because even if their pitching doesn't necessarily stay together, I think Lindor is going to be able to be that glue. And he's playing for a contract. So he's going to want to have the best season of his entire career this year because it is a contract season. I think it's just going to be tough, though. Like I said, I think if Tatis has even 75% of what his best season could look like, the media might just give it to him because of how much they're pushing him because he is that young, exciting, like flashy guy, which I totally understand that aspect of it. But if you're looking at it from most valuable player to their team, I think Lindor is going to be extremely valuable to that Mets team. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, so what are you looking at for pitching-wise in the Cy Young? So I'm not going to break it into NL and AL like we said. I'm going to give it to one clearly who I I believe if it was a longer season last year was coming up on the rear to win it in the NL. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Jack Flaherty as my big piece pitcher. Um, I think that he's been super close the past three years. I think he's been a game or two away from solidifying that. Uh, 
Uh, he's an exciting pitcher. Exciting to watch when he's not playing the Reds. <laughs> Love to watch him when he's not pitching against <laughs> your team. So, I mean, I think that that kind of says, it says it all, you know, I think that when he walks on the field, you kind of expect to win as long as your team produces at the plate. Um, yeah. But uh, I think it's hard to go against Jack Flaherty. I definitely think that there are other team and other players up there that should be there and should get mentions. But I think to me, in my mind, it's Jack Flaherty. Yeah, I can definitely see that point. And the guy I'm picking terrifies me just because it seems like it's like, it's like Gonzaga, like it's too good to be true. Like, it seems like it's too easy of a pick, but I saw him play up close on my favorite team for so many seasons. And then he goes to New York and Houston and just dominates. And I, it scares me just because I feel like something's got to go wrong because it's too perfect. But Garrett Cole is who I'm going with. I watched him play for way too long. I've seen the strides that he's taken from Pittsburgh being a stud to going to Houston and being a superstar to going to New York and the biggest baseball franchise we've ever seen and still just killing the game. And so I got to go with Garrett Cole because his fastball is just untouchable along with his changeup curves, two seams, everything he has. His arsenal is just absolutely insane. And for that reason, I'm just, I'm going to have to go with Garrett Cole. Okay. That's a hard one to go against and it's completely understandable. My, my rookie of the year, I kind of name dropped him earlier and Bobby Witt Jr. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a huge piece. I think he's a difference making piece to the Royals. I do. I think when he steps in and starts to take some, some plate appearances, some more consistent time on the field, some more, more of this, more of that. I think that he's going to be the guy that we all look to like we did to Randy, Randy Rosarina during the playoffs. Now I think, Randy Arena has the ability to win rookie of the year this year, but I, in my mind, I got to give it to Bobby Witt just because he, I feel like he can do that all year long and he can make mm -hmm. a difference all year long. Yeah. I like that too. And one guy I do want to bring up, I don't know if they're going to call him up or not is a uh, Joe Adele jr. Though from the yeah. angels, if he gets called up, he could definitely be a problem, Yeah, but I can't. Yeah. But I can't not go with Cabrian Hayes on the yeah. Pittsburgh pirates. And I misspoke earlier. He hit 437 in spring training this year. Last season, he played 24 games, though, and he hit 376, which is amazing for a rookie. And he, like I said, he was that spark plug. He's very solid on defense, good arm, but a great bat, definitely a plus bat. And I definitely think he's going to win the rookie of the year because I think he's going to have to carry this Pirates organization. And, well, I guess it's not really carrying, but it's just kind of him doing his thing while we still suck all around him. <laughs> but I think he's going to be a very, very good player. So up next, we are going to manager of the year. And who do you have for that? The manager of the year that I have is kind of out there. I think the reason that I have that or this pick is just how much they could jump and the improvement that they could make in their particular division, if you will. And the reason that I say that, I, I, I took Charlie Montoya, from the Blue Jays. Okay. I think getting Sherman and getting Springer was a huge piece. If he can coach them and manage them to the way that they need to be managed, they could win probably 78 to 80 plus games. I think that's right where we expect them to be. We don't necessarily expect him to be a World Series team, but we expect that number of wins. I think if they can get there, he could win coach of the year. And I think that would be great. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with Jace Tingler, the uh, Padres head coach, just kind of following that whole Fernando Tatis narrative. If he can get this team to 90-plus wins, which I think they probably will do, I think it's kind of just like the media shoo-in for him to win. Because if you just look at the Padres from, what, three years ago, they were just in not even baseball purgatory, like a lower level of just being stuck, of not being able to do anything and having no hope, no future back on what Andrew Cashman, I think his name was, was their ace. And uh, yeah, so I think- yeah, Andrew yeah, Cashner was the ace. Cashner, Cashner, yeah, he was their ace. Um, I don't even remember who their first baseman was at that time. Will Myers oh, was there on his uh, own. For yeah, Austin, um, Austin Hedges was the starting and only- only solid catcher on that roster, I think. Yeah, those teams were those teams were rough. They really tested you as Padres fans back then. Yeah, definitely. So that's who I'm going to go with for that. So we're going to end off baseball here. We're going to make a bold prediction, a hot take for something that we think is going to happen this MLB season, whether it's a team, a player, a stat, a something. So uh, what do you want to go with here first? Uh, the biggest thing that I can think of and that jumps out jumps out to me to predict, I believe Fernando Tatis mm-hmm. leads the league in walks through the first half of the season. Okay, okay. My bold prediction, I've kind of been teasing it a little bit throughout the whole entire thing. Mike Trout in the Los Angeles Angels finally make the playoffs. Write it down. <laughs> They finally, they finally do it. And I'm hoping so. And even though it may not seem that bold of a prediction, it definitely is because they haven't done it in yeah. the last eight years. So yeah, if you if you don't know baseball, that's like a wow, that's a way to go out on a limb. They have the best player in baseball. But you would be surprised on how unlikely that that really is. Yeah. And then I also, I guess for a bold prediction, I want to say, I don't really know how bold you would consider this, but I don't. I don't think the Yankees lead the league in home runs this year because I feel like a lot of no, people kind of shoe them in as like the yeah, people I, that are going to do that. I don't think they will. I don't see that either. I think there's a lot of different teams that could be right there with them in that category. So, yeah. I mean. So, the last thing, which I didn't put this in the rundown because I kind of wanted to put you on the hot seat here for uh, our last award because you've got to pick, like there's quite a few scenarios you got to run through your head right here. Who is your MVP of the World Series for this season? Because that means who is, to, who is my MVP for the World Series? Yeah, so that this, means you have to this decide, coming season. Yeah, that means you have to decide a winner, and then who the best player was throughout the throughout the series. Okay, okay. My my roommate, <laughs> my roommate uh, Brett Bishop would would have loved this. Um, so I'm glad that he doesn't get to see me make this statement because I'm <laughs> I'm twitching around. Um, <laughs> I think World Series MVP, World Series MVP, yeah. I give to Max Freed because he okay. has he has an under two ERA in the postseason. This is my prediction that he gets an under two and he pitches twice in the seven game series. That's okay. that's my prediction. So I think that the Braves take it this year. I think uh-huh. they were a a game away from taking it last year. Yeah. So I mean, and I think that the only thing that has been added in their way is Trevor Bauer. Mm-hmm. Now, we have seen that the Braves can hit the baseball. So if, my, if Mike Soroka is there, I think that 
Max Freed gets thrown kind of on the back burner. That's why I take him because when he pops off, it's more of a surprise than what it was last year. Yeah, I'm going to go with Mookie Betts just because the Dodgers are my pick to kind of go back to back. I just don't see a roster that matches up with them. We just talked a lot of baseball there. Probably that's over an hour and a half. That was fun. That was like a nice vent session. I think uh, me and Drew definitely needed was getting back into the baseball mode. Cannot wait for that to start tomorrow. So that is going to wrap up our MLB talk for today. I don't know about you, Drew. I had an absolute great time doing that. I think we both needed it. I think America needs it. Uh, America does need that. I needed it. I'm going to sleep better tonight knowing I said all those things. And what I do know is that 105 tomorrow, I will be watching baseball on my couch. But moving on, as you have said, into the NFL, we're going to do a little mock draft for this week. We're not going to go into a whole lot of depth, but we're going to do a 1 through 20 mock draft. Now, I want to preface this before we start for any backlash that I may get for picks that I have. (laughs) This is a opinion thing that I believe that I would take if I were these teams, a lot of eyes there for myself that Mm -hmm. I believe these should happen. And I have a bold prediction. I teased Steve with in the pre-show at uh, maybe number three. We'll see, but I'll let you go one and I'll follow you in behind. All right. Well, I just want to say, unless this is your bold prediction in which I might have to roast you, I think we can kind of get the number one pick out of the way that Trevor Lawrence is going to <laughs> no, the Jacksonville it, Jaguars. Uh, it's not. I have oh, Trevor I was going to say, if that also. was your bold prediction, we were going to might no. have to scrap on site. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I have I have Trevor Lawrence at one also. Okay. So then I'll start off at number two. So yeah. I don't think he's necessarily better than the guy I think they should pick, but it seems like all signs are pointing to them. The Jets taking Zach Wilson. Well, I guess this is, I don't know. Are we test? Are we taking this mock draft for accuracy or like what we would do? I guess I'm not, I'm personally not doing it for accuracy. I'm doing it for what I would do if I were these teams. All right. So Drew's going to go with what he would do if he were the teams. And I'm going to go for accuracy and what I think that the teams are going to do according to reports and things of that nature. So for the number two overall pick, I'm taking Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson had a great pro day. Most people have great pro days though, because it's all set up for you. You've practiced it a million times, but just all the signs are pointing that the jets are going to take Zach Wilson, which I wouldn't necessarily do because I don't think he's going to save your franchise. If Sam Darnold couldn't do it, he was a better prospect than Zach Wilson was. I don't think Zach Wilson can do it, but that's who I think they're going to take second overall. So I'm going with Zach Wilson. I, I took Justin Fields, obviously, ran a 4-4 at his combine. Uh, big numbers. He made throws that Zach Wilson made. He beat bigger teams. He beat better teams. He showed, I mean, just a whole lot of different things to me in my mind. That's what I would take him there. And I'll move right into three because I want to go ahead and give you my uh, bold, my bold prediction here. Okay. So as we all know and have heard by now, The 49ers have the third pick now. They have traded up to number three. So my bold prediction is that they do not take a quarterback at three because Kyle Shanahan was in Atlanta before this with Matt Ryan. Kyle Shanahan has the style quarterback that he wants already. So if Wilson goes to or if Fields goes to, the next best prospect is one of those two. 
which is completely different style than Jimmy Garoppolo and then Matt Ryan and then even Brian Hoyer when he was in Cleveland before that. So we have seen with good competitive teams, he can lead you to a Super Bowl, get you to 10, 11 wins with that style of quarterback. So I believe at three, they should and will take Panay Sewell to strengthen that right side of the line after signing the best left tackle for a very, very long time and has proven that he can be the strength of your line in Trent Williams. Yeah, definitely an interesting pick. Was not was not expecting that at all. So, going yeah, to but, it, but, it, but it, it doesn't completely sound off the book, off the radar. No, I just don't think I would trade like next year's first round pick and some of the other stuff to move up just to draft no, I, I, yeah. lineman. So, what I think the 49ers are going to take with the third overall pick in the draft is them taking Justin Fields. And if I'm Justin Fields, I'm doing everything I can to get to San Francisco at three. I'm extremely happy if I get bypassed by Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. Jets. And if you think about it, it makes great sense. A lot of people don't think Justin Fields is necessarily ready to start year one. You look, you still have Jimmy Garoppolo under contract for one more season. You keep him in. You get Justin Fields ready behind him to start next year. And odds are, we both know Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt all the time. So odds are Jimmy G is going to get hurt anyway. And Justin Fields is going to be able to start playing this season anyway. And then you just trade Jimmy G and get something back for him. And so in the 49ers are one of the most, the most weapon filled teams outside of the Kansas city chiefs and Tampa. Well, I know that's why I think it's a great fit for Justin Fields too. And I don't, I I I agree. Yeah. I don't think Kyle Shanahan sold on Jimmy G it's tough having to play with two to three different quarterbacks every single year, especially in one of them is Nick Mullins every, every time. So who do you have going for to Atlanta? I have Zach Wilson at four to Atlanta because I think that that he may sit one year behind Matt Ryan. I think that that's kind of where he needs to be due to the fact that that's going to be a different kind of game change. It's going to be exciting down there. It's going to be different for them to be able to have a guy that's mobile, that's electric, and is different than Matt Ryan. So I think that that's why the Falcons should go there with Zach Wilson. Yeah, this pick was kind of tough for me because I can't really tell if they really want to move off of Matt Ryan or not. He's got two years left, and his salary dead cap money would be huge, like as big as Carson Wentz's was, if not a tad bit bigger, if I'm not wrong. But I think they're still going to go for a quarterback. It's Atlanta. It's a city where I think they're ready for, well, they love Matt Ryan, but I think they're ready for a new quarterback. I think they're logical and kind of know it's coming to an end. They've had quite a few disappointing seasons since that Super Bowl run. So I'm going to take a Trey Lance if I'm New England, because I think Trey Lance is pretty raw. He played one, he started like one season in college and he played only one game this past season where he didn't play that well. And if you look at Matt Ryan too, he is turnover prone. He can't just loft the ball up and get interceptions. And if you look at what Trey Lance did last year, he didn't throw a single interception all season and he had a great year. And so I think for that reason, I think they'll take Trey Lance at four. So that's what, yeah, we both have three out of the top four picks are all quarterbacks, which I don't think that's happened in a while. Three out of the top four. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's going to be interesting. I think it's definitely going to go that way. I, I yeah. think we could see the first four be quarterbacks now after some reports coming in of Mac Jones rising. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you'll know where I have him later. I mean, but yeah. at five, I have Jamar Chase to the Bengals. And a week ago or two weeks ago, I would have said I doubt it because some reports have come in differently. 
but Joe Burrow is making a strong, strong push to get his boy Jamar in Cincinnati. And I will not be upset with that. I'll be completely happy if Jamar steps into my locker room day one and he's the guy. Now, Jamar is also okay with reuniting with Joe. So that's it'd be exciting to have that kind of reunion in Cincinnati. So I'm ready for that. Yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because you kind of just covered all the points. Reports kind of started coming out slowly last week about Burrow pushing for them to draft Jamar Chase. And over the past week, they've just gotten like, not that they're like hot or anything like that or everywhere, but it kind of seems like that's what Joe wants them to do. And I think Cincinnati owes him that at least. And that's always nice too when you compare a quarterback with a wide receiver that they're going to go forward in their career and their future together. And who who they've already spent time with. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. That would be great for your young rookie, especially after what you guys did to him last year, offensive line wise. But that does <laughs> yeah. kind of bring me to my point where I think they do need an offensive line men very badly. And hopefully they'll, uh, for Joe Burrow's sake, look at that for the rest of the draft after this first big, get him his guy and then just build the O-line after that. But yeah, I'm going to go with Jamar Chase at pick five too. Uh, at six to the Dolphins, I have Devontae Smith, mm-hmm. who is touted as one of the most electric receivers to come out of college ever. Uh, again, a Heisman winner, two wide receiver Heismans in really in a very long time ever, uh, him and Desmond Howard. And I, I think it's a great pick for the Dolphins. I think that they need that. I think it's a game-changing player. You could turn him into a Curtis Samuel almost with a lot of speed, good hands, and make him be – not even the face of your offense the first year, but letting him work into that kind of role as he starts to play games with your quarterback. Yeah. Who, who he has played with also. That's why I think they need to take him there because he's played with Tua. Yeah, no, I can see that point. So for my sixth overall pick going to Miami, I'm going to take Kyle Pitts. Um, I like this pick a lot from Miami. He's from the Florida area. And if you look at these young quarterbacks, what do they have when they get to the league? Receivers they can throw throw to. Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey. Jimmy G was never a starter in New England, went to San Francisco, immediately started throwing to George Kittle, Cam Newton, and Greg Olson. And the list goes on and on and on. And I think getting like a kind of security net for Tua would be big. And if you think about the schemes they could run with Mike Jacecki on one side, who's a great blocker, but also great pass catching tight end with Kyle Pitts, who's just a beast. And then you have Devontae Parker, a physical threat on the outside with Burner Will Fuller on the other side. And then you can mix Kyle Pitts in the slot with some of them. And just the mix of all those weapons all around the place, I think can be very helpful to Tua, but also like very lethal for that Miami offense. And I really like uh, that Kyle Pitts fit with uh, Miami. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I would... At seven to the Lions, I'm taking Kyle Pitts. So I just had him a pick later. I did that for Jared Goff, like you said. Um, Mm -hmm. He didn't really have like a huge piece in uh, Los Angeles, but he had Higby um, for a while. So, I mean, I think Kyle Pitts is a different breed of of, uh, tight end. I think that's a good fit for him. Uh, I think he can kind of be the star on that team his first year. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what he needs. So I think it'll be huge to kind of pair him with Jared Goff and let them two grow together, being fresh on that team together. So, Yeah, for sure. I can definitely see that too. If he drops to seven, 
So for seventh overall, you need a weapon. You just lost Kenny Galladay. All you really have left is TJ Hawkinson because you lost Marvin Jones Jr. too. And I like Jalen Waddle better, I think, long-term, but I think Detroit's going to go with Devontae Smith. It's just the size of Devontae that still freaks me out Um, because we've just never seen somebody 170 pounds like tear up the league before. But, yeah, they definitely need a weapon, so I'm going to go with Devontae Smith for the Detroit Lions seven overall. Okay, at eight to the Panthers, I have Trey Lance. I think the reason that he falls to eight is to what I have. Um, I think he fits just in like Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's got a great, great rec- – one of the best running backs the NFL's ever seen and Christian McCaffrey, who he can build off of, and having uh, Robbie Anderson. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I see him growing and being potentially one of the better quarterbacks of this draft is in Carolina. Okay. Yeah, so I don't think the Panthers would draft Mac Jones. I don't think that's what they're looking for in a quarterback. But a position that the Carolina Panthers have seemed to struggle in ever since they were created in 1995 is offensive line. And Penny Sewell is still available there. And that dude looked like an absolute great player, no doubter, no miss guy his junior year before he set out last year for COVID reasons. And off. And no matter who the quarterback is, the Panthers need to shore up that offensive line to help whoever the quarterback is, but also help create more running gaps for Christian McCaffrey. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Penny Sewell going to Carolina at eight. Okay. At nine, I have Mac Jones to the Broncos. I think Drew Locke's there. Yes, he's young, but I don't think he's proven that he could be the franchise guy and turn it around. I think Mac Jones can. I think Mac Jones has made throws in his college career and in his pro day that Drew Locke could not have made two years ago. So I think that that's why Mac Jones steps up and turns that franchise with Cortland Sutton and some more KJ Hamler, Noah Fant. I think those are two and three big name guys that you can build Mac Jones up with. Yeah. Denver's got a bunch of stuff they got to work on. Um, their quarterback, they got to work on their wide receivers are fine running back. We don't really know with Melvin Gordon, but their defense, they fixed their secondary, but I still think they need to solidify up that linebacker position. So for that reason, I'm going to take Micah Parsons. Yeah. I I mean, I like, I like that pick in Denver. I definitely think Um, that's a good pick. I'm taking Patrick Sertan at 10 to the Mm -hmm. Cowboys. Um, I think that that's kind of what they need. They need a huge piece of their secondary. They've always had a good offense, but they need that secondary defensively to improve and be better. I think it starts with Sertan. Yeah, that's the exact same pick that I had was Patrick Sertan. They need a cornerback. They had one of the worst secondaries ever, I think, or not ever, I'm sorry, one of the worst secondaries in the season last year. Shoot, maybe of all time. I mean, they were in shootouts, 30, 40 point games every single time getting burned. So yeah, I'm going Patrick Sertan. Yeah, Um, at 11 to the Giants, I have Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. I think he's the second best corner. I don't think it's a far separation, but I think he's, and like the Giants, I think they play on that secondary kind of team. You don't expect them when you think of the ACC, you don't expect, and you don't think of Virginia Tech. When you think of NFL football, the team that doesn't jump out to you is not the Giants. And when you think of New York right now, the team that jumps out is the Jets due to what they've been doing. So I think that that's, he's going to thrive in that kind of environment and kind of grow from that chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I think I would have gone weapon here if they didn't just sign uh, Kenny Galladay a few days ago, or I guess a week ago at this point. 
But we see Daniel Jones is terrible under pressure, like absolutely terrible under pressure. And it becomes very turnover prone when he's under pressure. So for that reason, I'm going to take the second ranked offensive lineman in this draft. And I'm going to go with Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern to try and help secure that offensive line to help Daniel Jones be less turnover prone and help Saquon's holes as well. Kind of the same deal with Carolina. Okay. I, I, I get that. I have Rashawn Slater, the next pick at 12 to the Eagles. Okay. Um, and like I said, like, like you said, to kind of help Daniel Jones, I think it's the same reason to help Jalen Hurts. He's going to grow. He needs somebody to be there to protect him. And I think Rashawn Slater can do that and help Jalen improve and maybe not have to run as much, but still grow in the play action game where he is his strongest. So I think that that's a great pick for them. Yeah. This next pick, this Eagles pick is very, uh, it's it's, a, it's difficult because there's so many so ways many you could things. go. Yeah, because I was looking at they need a weapon, maybe Jalen Waddle, but they already have this huge history of like injury riddled wide receivers, and the last thing you want to do is draft another injury riddled wide receiver when you've already had to deal with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson and all these wide receivers that seem to get hurt all the time, and you just drafted Jalen Rager last year in the second round. Yeah, so, who has not who has not proven to be. He was hurt like all yet. season too. So exactly. I think it's just tough from their point. I don't think I could draft another injured wide receiver. So I'm going to go with cornerback JC Horn out of South Carolina. Uh, hey, hey, yeah, there you go. yeah. They need to shore up their secondary a little bit. And I like JC Horn a lot. He had a great parade. He's, he's got good um, physical attributes and things yeah, of that he's, nature. He's a quick, strong, physical cornerback who, I mean, and I'll, I'll say this, you can agree. South Carolina has not been the premier football team that we were a while ago, but JC Horn has been one of the bright spots on that team. Yeah. That's why I think he stands out in this draft. Yeah. So I dude, think his, that he can. His stock's been continue. flying up the past like week two. Also yeah. like he's moved yeah. up to almost number two, I think in the cornerback rankings. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes for him. Uh, and the only reason I don't have him there is just due to some of the outside or inside the game things outside i don't know if he's going to be able to cover big also physical guys i don't know if he can stay with quick receivers some routes he gets struggled with but i i mean i like him obviously at that position at four or at 13 to the chargers that's where i took micah parsons i think they have a great defense to build around i think micah parsons is a great first piece to add to that uh on the other side and just kind of build around TJ. Or, uh, who is that? That's um, one of the um, Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, yeah. Or no, 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 it's Bosa. It's Joey Bosa out there, right? Oh my gosh! I could, I drafted Micah Parsons to Denver. So when you said Micah yeah. Parsons, I was thinking back to Denver. Yeah, Joey Bosa, and you don't know if Melvin yeah. Ingram's going to come back either because he's exactly. a free agent. So but I think yeah. that's a that's a great piece to add to the opposite side of that defense. But yeah, uh, what do you real have quick, I just want to say. I have had basketball on this whole time and they are teasing this Lakers bucks games with a Giannis versus Schroeder graphic. I just want to yeah. say Giannis versus Schroeder. Cause LeBron and AD are out. We That's couldn't have thrown up. We couldn't have thrown Andre Drummond up there in this. Don't first even game. make a graphic. Don't even, none of them are yeah, worth yeah, it. <laughs> There's no need. All right. So for number 14, for the chargers, it looks like you found your franchise quarterback and Justin Herbert, and you're going to want to protect him because their offensive line isn't great. So I'm going to take Christian Darsaw out of Virginia Tech. Another I like that. Offensive line, just, you know, beef it up, beef up the security for the quarterback. I like that. Um, at 14 to the Vikings, I have Quiddy Pay. 
I think that's a great pick to go with Daniel Hunter. I mean, uh, there's not many negative things you can say about Daniel or uh, Daniel Hunter, but Quiddy Pay is a great edge rusher. Uh, so I think that he's going to excel in that defense. I think they have a great defensive scheme for him to fit into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for number 14, going to Minnesota, this one was a little bit tough for me just because I was trying to think of their division because I have Caleb Farley still not taken and it's kind of dropped pretty far down and he's like way over or undervalued at this yeah. point. So I think I'm going to take him to Minnesota. Cause if you're looking at it, you got to face Devonte Adams twice a year. You need somebody to lock him up. The Detroit lions yeah. odds are they're going to be drafting a wide receivers. So you're going to have to have somebody to cover either Jamar chase, Jalen Waddle or Devonte Smith. And I think Minnesota just needs a cover guy for the future as well. Yep. I agree. Um, at 15 to the Patriots, that's where I have Christian Derisaw. And yeah, the reason bro. that I have that is because yes, they signed Cam or Cam Newton back one more season. I think that's a good idea. But if we look at that line that he had in Carolina, it was a pretty decent O-line. Not that the Patriots O-line was not good last year, but if you can improve that line, it will always make it better for Cam Newton to be more of a run-first, comfortable in that offense quarterback. And you gave him two great tight ends. So I think that's why I have Christian Derrishaw there is because I think that he's going to improve their offensive game and excel Cam Newton back to a level that he wants to be at. So that's Mm -hmm. why I have him there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, coming up to this New England pick, that was another reason it was tough to say Caleb Farley right there because knowing Bill Belichick, he made trades to Fawn Gilmore and then draft, try and like trade up or maybe just draft him straight up if he lasts that far and get a cornerback because this is a cheaper option and we know Bill likes his cheaper options. <laughs> yeah, Bill doesn't like to spend money until he needs no. to spend money. But uh, no. I uh, I want to say this real quick. I'm looking at uh, um, a big kind of stat for Joe Burrow. Um, after having a rookie season from T Higgins and Tyler Boyd there, who we know is a good quick receiver getting rid of John Ross, Justin Jefferson came out last year who ran a four, four, three in his combine at the pro days this year. He also have has two coming out this year that he played with last year, who is Jamar chase and Terrence Smith Marshall. Both of them ran four, three eights at their pro day today or yeah day. so crazy. i don't i mean that's that's great numbers that you can improve around who your number one is going to be in tyler boyd there sorry about that i didn't mean to cut no, off your good. picks but i think that that is a huge huge thing and i think terrence marshall is one that will rise stock wise due to that to maybe late late first by late first, I mean maybe 32nd pick after losing Sammy Watkins uh, or 31st pick after losing Sammy Watkins or early second. Um, but at 16... I got. I didn't make a New England pick. Oh. <laughs> oh, I also just want to say, I don't know if you can see on my Apple Watch, I just got another graphic for this Lakers Giannis game, and it's Giannis, and it's that. and it's Giannis versus Montrez. So ESPN's that. hit an all-time low. Um, yeah, they with no LeBron, with no Lamelo, and this game being the main highlight of the night, you just struggle to come up with a good graphic. Yeah, it's it's tough. So 
New England's never been good at drafting receivers in the first round. We all know that. And I wanted to take Jalen Waddle here, but I think there's just too much of the injury and just too much for Bill to take him because he's smart. He knows he struggles at drafting weapons. That's why he went in free agency and got them all. I think they're going to draft Mac Jones. Him and Nick Saban have a great relationship. The players that they have could set up well for Mac Jones because they're two possession tight ends that you can get the ball to nice big guys and cam gets hurt now at this point and he's very inconsistent and mac jones can sit behind him for a year maybe coming halfway through when cam gets hurt come over and take over the spot so i don't it's not my favorite pick but i think it has to happen yeah no i mean i understand i definitely don't have any thing against that pick if they don't take an offensive lineman to improve cam's game um at 16 to the Cardinals after adding JJ Watt, after re-signing Chris Jones and getting back Bubba Baker and getting back some of those other big pieces. I think that at 16, it's really hard to pass up Jeremiah Awusa Kamora, who is the uh, outside linebacker from Notre Dame, who is six one two sixteen. And if you just look at some of his, uh, his frame is bigger than six one two sixteen visually. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, he just looks like an absolute grown man at 21 years old. I think that it's it's a pretty big deal. You know, I think that that's going to be a good pick for them. I think that that all, I mean, they have the offense to be competitive and good now. Yeah. I think no, I that, that all they need to do is add one more piece and a young piece that they can grow off of. Like we have talked about before in the two year future of that Super Bowl hope. I think that's a guy to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for my next pick, they lost to Son Reddick. So I think the Cardinals need to replace that edge. And so I'm going to go with uh, Jason away from uh, Penn state, six, three, two fifty three. He can get like off that. the line. And I definitely, they just, they need to replace him. That, that's what this is. This is a replacement pick. You got to replace <laughs> yep. a guy. You got to replace a guy that gave you 12 and a half sacks last year. Yeah, I agree. Um, at 17, to the Raiders I have Elijah Vera Tucker I think that's a good offensive lineman I think you kind of have to help Derek Carr be competitive and I think it starts with your O-line after they've gotten a bunch a bunch of weapons in the past two or three drafts and losing Trenton Brown I think it's a huge piece to add back and like you said it's a replacement at this point yeah Dude, this might be the toughest pick because can you imagine trying to put yourself into John Gruden's head and what he's going to do? No, <laughs> like, I couldn't. At this point, I would take Kyle Trask. This is the guy that drafted Cleveland Farrell in like, what, top yeah. 10? And he was like a second round pick <laughs> who's supposed to be. <laughs> uh, hey, so, Coach Gruden's got his ways. He even yeah. had a TV show. Yeah, I know. So I think I'm going to roll with you, though, on Elijah Vera Tucker because they got rid of four out of their five offensive linemen and they got to get young. They got to get cheap. They got to get somebody there. Yeah, yeah. Um, at 18 to the Dolphins, this is their second pick of the round. And after in mine, I have them taking Devontae Smith. I think a mm-hmm. huge pick for them is Jalen Mayfield. I think that's a big, big offensive lineman that they can roll with, feel comfortable with playing in that role as a late or mid first round draft pick. It's going to be cheap, going to be affordable, going to be a guy that is going to have a chip on his shoulder at this point, I think. So I think that that may, he may have something to prove on why he deserved to go higher. 
No, I like that. Yeah, so I'm going to go because I took Kyle Pitts first in Miami. I went offense. I'm going to go defense this time. I think they need to bring some more pressure because they've got the secondary that can hold him off, but I still have Quiddy Pay on my board. So I'm going to take yeah. him and yeah. I'm going to put him I like into Miami because I think he can be a good pass rusher for them and they need it. Um, at 19 to the Washington football team, uh, one of the best front fours in all of football. They added a couple mm-hmm. pieces this offseason to their secondary, but one of the big positions I think they didn't add that they could have used was a uh, linebacker. So that's why I went with Azus uh, Adulari from yeah. Georgia. I think he is an absolute physical beast in the middle and can really, really boost that front four and take some pressure off them. You know, he can blitz and bring some pressure and take some pressure off of Montez Sweat up the middle and off of some of those guys on the outside, De'Aaron Payne. I think that's a good pick for them. I believe that that's the best place that they can get him. Yeah, that's definitely a good pick. I actually have the exact same guy. I was looking at maybe doing Jalen Waddle, but I still can't believe he's on my board, honestly. Yeah. If there wasn't an injury, obviously, it It was tough. Yeah, it was between yeah. those two. But I was like, if you just sign Curtis Samuel to that money, I don't know if you're going to draft another receiver in the first round right after that. So yeah. I'm not even going to try and say his name, but Georgia linebacker. <laughs> uh, um, at 20 to uh, the Bears, I have Jalen Waddle going there. Yeah, yeah, and the reason yeah. that I have him going there, and you may have the same reason, is you just franchise tagged Allen Robinson. He's You're not going to play for you. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to play for you again. You may get one lucky season if Andy Dalton – has even 22 touchdowns and all 22 are to Allen Robinson. He may sign another one-year contract, but you have to start building for the future without him. And I think Jalen Waddle is the best first step that you can take at pick 20 with him still being there. Yeah. I'm taking Jalen Waddle too. I don't think Allen Robinson puts that bears uniform on again. And you have Andy Dalton, which we all know is nothing to brag about and you got to get him a wide receiver. So, yeah, I'm going with Jalen Waddle, too. That was another decision or reason I didn't take him 19 because I think he slots in perfect there, and I think the yep. Bears need to take him. Yep. Um, but now we'll move into uh, what we have is our picks of the week yep. for the week. So we're going to start with basketball. Uh, I'll take my first game. I have Lakers and Clippers. Um, the Lakers Oh, right dude, now, that's such an easy game to pick. They don't have AD or LeBron. Come on. Well, well, listen, but they just they just signed back, or they, not signed back, but they just signed Andre Drummond. Mm-hmm. And Montrez Harrell in the last six games is averaging 21 and shooting 66% from the Ooh, field. Drop stats. So, I, I mean, I feel like that's a great place to kind of build without LeBron. I think it's a good place to start. It's unfortunate mm-hmm. that you have to start against the Clippers. Because Rajon, you just signed him. That, as we have seen, is a pure point guard in its truest form. You know, he can play that position in any way that you need him to play. But Mm -hmm. we don't know when we're going to see him yet. So his official debut is in question still. But I think that that's kind of the bigger game. And I'm actually going to take the Lakers in that game because I think the front court plays better than the front court in, uh, well, not Los Angeles, and the Clippers Mm because they're both Los Angeles. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm glad you know your locations and your geography. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do my best to <laughs> keep it as simple as possible here on my end. Yeah, so my first game I'm going to take, I'm taking the Denver Nuggets at the Los Angeles Clippers, which is tomorrow. That's two of the powerhouses out west, and I think Denver goes in there and takes it. I just don't think they have the Clippers. Like I know they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, 
And yeah, they can maybe hold off the acquisition of Aaron Gordon or some of their other guys, but I don't think they have anybody to stop Nikola Jokic or yeah. a guard who can, I know like Pat Bev is like a defensive guard, but he's getting old and I don't think he can put the clamps on uh, Jamal Murray. And so my next game, I'm going on Sunday, big game for a bunch of reasons. Um, if you look at the East right now, the four and 12th seed are separated between four and a half games mm-hmm. or four and 10 seed. I'm sorry, by four and a half games. And mm-hmm. my Charlotte Hornets are the four <laughs> seed right now. And the Hornets are going to the Boston Celtics. Kemba back against the Hornets. Gordon Hayward's first game back in the Boston Garden against the Celtics. I think this is going to be a really good game. And I think the Hornets are going to go on the road and pull this one out. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I can see it. I think it's going to be a hard game to beat the Celtics. I'm really road. excited to watch that game. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I can imagine that it would be. Uh, my second game of the week, I have Knicks versus Nets. I've been riding with the Knicks the past couple of weeks. <laughs> I feel like you uh, picked that least. a few times, the Knicks versus Nets. They play each <laughs> well, other it's, four times a year. So <laughs> Yeah, but it's a it's a great game every time. And yeah. in this one, I think it's going to be exciting. But I'm going to go with the Nets in this game. And I, I mean, I can sit here and rattle off a bunch of stats, but if anybody pays attention, LaMarcus Aldridge signing, Blake Griffin just signing. I mean, those are two big pieces. So I think the Nets definitely have the upper hand in this series. Then we'll move over and we'll do some NHL. I'm going to take my first game. You'll be happy to hear this. I'm going to take Penguins versus Bruins. Let's go. Um, Brandon Tevon or Tenev was in full practice. I don't know how to say his name. He was in full practice. He was in full practice today. So that's good to have him back coming off of that injury. Uh, And then to Smith, the goalie, he needs to continue to stay hot. That's a huge piece. You can keep having him hot. I think that's big Uh, for the Bruins though. uh, They have a young phenom and Trent Federick. Uh, He has four goals this year, three of which were winning goals. I think if you can find a way to neutralize him on the defensive side, you get it. So I'm going to take the Penguins in this game. Yeah, that's actually my first game I picked two. We've won five out of our last six. We're actually just, we actually, I think, are tied for first in the Metro right now, if not right in second behind Washington. And the Penguins really look like they're finding their stride. And Boston's always a tough matchup because you've got Patrice Bajrion or whatever you say his name. You've got David Pasternak, Brad Marchand. You've got the whole crew there. But yeah, I'm going to go with the Penguins. I think they stay hot. And I'm going to roll with them for that. And then my next game I'm going to, which this team's kind of been in my rotation the whole entire time because they're a fun team to watch. And they're a fun team. Just two fun teams to play each other. There's the three of them out West with Colorado, Minnesota, and Las Vegas. And we've got the Wild going back to Vegas again on this weekend on Saturday. And I'm going to rock with the Golden Knights at home for that game. Okay. Uh, My second game, I'm going to take Blue Jackets versus the Florida Panthers. Um, Texeras, he's, he, this season he has grown a bunch after coming back, which I think is a big piece. He started to kind of fill his game out more. So to me, I think it's an easy one. I'm going to take the Blue Jackets in that game. Um, and then my first uh, college baseball game of the week, I have App State versus Coastal in this. Nice. And I'm, I mean – I'm going to take Coastal. I didn't really have to think too long about it. Oh, okay. uh, Ab- Never mind. Then you built Ab- me up to just drop <laughs> me back down. <laughs> Ab- Ab State's a game under 500. Uh, you have two players hitting over 300, um, which one of them is your boy, Luke Drumhiller. Yes, sir. Um, there, you guys have one pitcher with an ERA under three. 
it hasn't been a good there. year. Okay, don't um, have it in. Well, uh, over the season, over the season so far, you have been outscored 133 to 110, 11 yeah. home runs to 29 by the opponents. So you're getting out hit, which in the other side of the the token, Coastal is 14 and nine, and Gary Gilmore has led Coastal to 16 regionals and three supers since 1996. So you have the coaching advantage there along with they have three <laughs> players over 300 average, four pitchers under three ERA, and one with zero ERA. And they're outscoring mm-hmm. opponents 135 to 114. But yeah. what, I don't, what I don't know is how easy the wins will be. I definitely think Coastal can pull it out, but I think if – Luke has a continually good weekend and you can get one of those pitchers to stay hot and be hot for this weekend. You may be able to pull one and, and push for a second. I don't know if you're going to get it though. Yeah. Yeah. My first series, I think Florida's going to remain in just the state of depression after Ole Miss puts it, beats the crap out of them this weekend. Yeah. Hey, what happened this past weekend? Why are they in depression? Oh, they're in depression because the university of South Carolina at Columbia Swept them three okay, zero. Yeah, I was just making sure that we didn't skip that. Yeah, so I think Ole Miss and, is kind of going to continue that streak, and Florida's just going to be looking around, not knowing what to do after the first two games at them. And and in a game on Friday, which was fourteen innings in a five hour game, actually I think it was longer than that. You know, the five hour game, which went to fourteen innings and was won on a walk off. Just so we're clear, one of the best baseball games I have seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch more though. Um, yeah. But what what is your second game of the weekend? Dude, it's like a drug, man. I keep coming back to it. UNC against Florida State. (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling it was going to be one of the two. I couldn't stop. I thought about doing Pitt and Notre Dame, but I didn't. Um, We actually, me and my roommate, watched the game last night. UNC lost in extras to uh, ECU. They were actually up 10 to 8 in the eighth inning and ended up blowing it in the eighth. And then ECU won in extra innings. Well, ECU is real this year. Yeah, they are. I'm going to go with Florida State winning two out of three in that. But okay. it's it's tough because I think I still think North Carolina is disrespected a little bit, but they're kind of deserving a little bit at this point, the way they just dropped two to NC State and <laughs> another one to ECU. So I think Florida State kind of just keeps putting that poundage on them. I, uh, I agree. Um, my second game is Florida versus Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, I have – Oh, missing that winning two of three. I think again, they stay in that kind of state of negativity just because I mean, obviously I don't think they want to stay there, but I think it's going to be hard for them to come out. They're coming off a sweep. Uh, Florida is Ole Miss just got kind of manhandled by Arkansas. Um, but Mike Bianco has built an absolute juggernaut in the sec in Ole Miss. And Tim Elko is, is a team leader with three forty one, nine home runs, and a slugging percentage of 714, which yeah. is a huge, huge thing. He's a huge leader on that team. Um, I think that he needs all of those things uh, to be competitive this weekend. I think yeah. that he needs to be that guy to be competitive this weekend. Um, but my first game of the week in the MLB for the first time this season, we get to pick MLB. Um I'm taking Cardinals versus Reds in the NL Central. I think that's a big piece. I'm obviously going Reds, two of the three, but I think we drop the first tomorrow. 
due to Jack Flaherty's ability to play the game of baseball, and he's really good at it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, my picks. I'm taking them both tomorrow for opening day. Uh, starting the pressure hot and heavy. <laughs> um, so the first game I'm going with, I'm going the New York Mets at the Nationals, and that's going to be a pitcher's duel, and I can't wait to watch it. But I think Jacob DeGrom and the New York Mets pull that game out. I think it's going to be like a three to one win, something like that. And then the yeah. other game I'm going to be looking at is the White Sox versus the Angels, just because it's the best team in their division in the AL Central against the best player in the game and a team that's got a lot to prove. And it's in L.A., but I think the Angels are going to pull this out. I think Mike Trout's going to go maybe two for four, double work in there, have a nice play defensively, just kind of do Mike Trout stuff. But I think the Angels win this first game. I think it helps being at home that first game, too, because you've just been out traveling, whether you're in Arizona or whether you were in Florida. And it's kind of nice to be able to go back to Los Angeles, hang out there for two or three to two days. I think it is three days from spring training ends to when the season starts and then play compared to going to Chicago hang out there for two days and having to go another time change and yeah. fly back to LA. Yeah. Um, my second game of the MLB, I'm going to take Mets versus nationals. Also. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have the Mets in this series or in the first game. I mean, I don't know how you want to roll the MLB, but I definitely have them winning. Oh yeah. Day. That is um, true. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Mets and angels anyway on the series. So yeah, my bad. <laughs> um, I should have clarified that. Uh, I'm going to go with the Mets there just because I think, like you said, the pitching is going to be overwhelming. I think they have too much of it. Uh, and I think Juan Soto is just – he's going to do Juan Soto things, but there's not enough around him to be able to br- bring that pitching down. Yeah, there's no once or there's no I in team. There's no Juan Soto in the Washington Nationals or team. So, you know, as long as it's not just Juan Soto, you're going to need a lot more than just him. So didn't come out of my mouth as smooth as that sounded in my head, but it definitely didn't come out very good. So I think that's going to wrap it up though, for episode number 12 of the pickup. It was great. I told you guys it was going to be a banger. It was, I mean, it was a baseball special for about an hour and a half and ending it off with a mock draft and some picks. How much more fun can a podcast get than that? I think, I mean, I think I had a great time. I don't know. I don't don't know. I did. Yeah, I think we peaked. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is it. So if you listen to episode 12, don't expect too much from episode 13. Probably a decline from this one. I don't know how much better you can get. We're still going to be coming down from episode 12 (laughs) by the time next week comes around. (laughs) Cloud nine right now, day before opening day. (laughs) So that is going to wrap it up for episode 12 of the pickup. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate all the support. And Something we're going to start doing too, which I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is we're going to try and get a little more active on our Instagram, posting daily videos Monday through Friday of just like kind of one minute takes of things that are going on in the sports world, because we really want to be able to interact with our listeners and talk to you guys more. So that's a goal that we're going to be setting. So stay tuned to the Instagram at the underscore pickup, and uh, we'll promote it some more on social media too. So look forward to that. And For Drew Hartman, I am Stephen Biddix, and we will catch you guys next time.